on, but are you interested in trying to conquer America? No. All these years, the UK fighters had to go to America. Everyone had to spend a heap of money to go to Vegas. We can do it in London, around Wembley, Cardiff. It's local. Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Full House, Terry Japandama, and Mr. Martin Theobald. Yeah, it feels like the first one of the new year. Like, fucking hell, We've had a long break, haven't we? We have. We've been in camp. Boxing's been shit for a while, no, to be fair. Like, like, nothing's we, been going on. Well, you been did in camp, kind mate. Of... Wait, wait, coming off lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you, did, um, you did sort of elude when we were chatting in the week that there still hasn't been anything happening. There's still nothing of any significance. Like, the whole Joshua stuff's rumbling on still. Which is great. I mean, there's two months now until his big Wembley date, which is great because I booked the hotels cheap because I got them early. You know, accommodation, travel, all cheap. Sign so that'll definitely be up. happening because, you know, it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on fight pass, man. I'm amped now. April 13th. Yeah. Um, but we, so What's we have... What's wording for that? I'm, I'm intrigued. I've put something up on it. AJ commits next two fights, Wembley Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> that was when they announced about that, the two. AJ when commits. was that announced? <clears throat> Before September. Remember, Hearn was very bullish and he was like, we've booked it for September and we've booked it for April. Wilder can have any one of those dates. Yeah, so they put... <laughs> any one of those It's much use to people listening, but that was the poster they put up at the time. Which is AJ's. Oh, Boxing's Staying Home. It's Boxing it. Staying Home, that's it. 22nd September, 13th of April. So only two months to go now, which is great because I can't wait to be there. I'll be watching Spurs. Fuck <laughs> um, So our agenda is pretty thin on the ground today. So I'm going to rely on the but our consi- entertainment will be bloated. considerable charisma of you two in order to carry us through. Do you remember those Harry Enfield guys, the old gits? <laughs> You're still off Twitter, aren't you, T? Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, honestly, like I feel. I imagine this is what crackheads feel like when they go clean. I'm just like. Oh. Just no daily negativity. You're not really hitting Facebook, but, are you? It's, um, um, Facebook's light for me, man. It's like, like just so. Look, I told you it's Instagram. What now. about the messenger? Uh, a few, a few door knockings, but yeah. more, more, more incoming than outgoing. <laughs> I've been off Messenger completely. Have you? Yeah, I messaged you on it the other day. No, the stag do stuff. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Nah, you no, know, but here's the thing. You're tip, an Instagram tip, man now. T- t- tip for everyone. Forget Facebook Messenger. If you look at what Facebook are doing anyway, they're, try- they're trying to converge all of this shit together, which worries me, number one. Like, I think... Don't Facebook own WhatsApp? And in what- yeah, so they're WhatsApp trying to merge Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp messengers so, together. So you can message across platforms. So if I don't have your WhatsApp, I can find anywhere I send it. If I send something from Instagram to Andy White, it will find a way to you somehow through the <coughs> ether, wherever you are. It's, 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 if we've got any techies out there, if you can find a way to have a fully encrypted 
messenger service, right? That doesn't sell dates and doesn't fuck around. I will pay two quid for it. Yeah, happily pay. Is that it? It's not worth their time. Okay, look at no, 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 but look at it differently. How many people use WhatsApp? It's it's in the hundreds of millions. Oh yeah, no, no. So, so two quid a pop, you can retire. I completely that. get that. Like I've said before, I was chatting about this the other day with someone about. I can't understand why WhatsApp don't just charge you a pound a year to use don't it. Don't they? Don't there was at somewhere if it's still the same. If you joined before a certain date, you had a lifetime membership. Yeah. But bef- after that, you had to pay for it yeah. per year. Is that where you send that Nigerian man your card details? <laughs> and you're still waiting for I your run, princess to arrive. Yeah, he runs WhatsApp. No, he's, I'm literally got. I just got to go to Western Union no, no, next no, week. He runs, he runs can... WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> WhatsApp. <laughs> Once I go to Western Union and withdraw the funds, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, so thanks the other for day, send a Western Union payment. I've never done one, but I was telling Andy about this. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's a ball leg. So I do it a lot because I've got family in Africa and here, there, and everywhere. Is so. it trustworthy? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's so yeah. little boxing to talk about, which can chat well, other shit. Yeah, I no. literally to stand behind what I said to Martin. All I heard from uh, a mate that used it, and it's the only in the only time I've ever heard it spoken of outside of when I spoke to Martin was you send money across it, then someone at the other end goes, "No, nah, I didn't receive that," and then they go. Oh, well, we didn't receive your money. And then they take it off you anyway. No, no, they can't. So what happens is you take, so you make your payment, Andy. They take the money off you. They hold it in escrow, right? So the, the agent. Does Hearn run it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so you, so, so then, so that, let's say you're on a holiday in Northern Cyprus, because this is a use case. Say, s- say no, no, I'm no, no, sending no, no, one no, billion no, no, pounds for a new no, boxing no, no, platform. No, wait, wait, wait. You've never done this before. Just trust me. One billion. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So there are KYC limits anyway. So there's certain amounts where you'd have to go through further verification. You'd just end up with a Gavin but McDonald no, coming back. If, oh. if, you're, if you're just sending, let's say you're sending 500 quid to Northern Cyprus and Andy's going to pick it up in Northern Cyprus. The money's held. Andy has to go over and provide the reference number and the relevant proof or authentication on the other end. And only when he does that is the money released and then you get a notification of the money's been collected so you know what time the money was collected it's it's fully audited like i, I interviewed with western union in the uk f- probably two years ago it's a pretty solid business model like and i wish the customer journey was slicker so i wish i could just do things with one click and they get into that point but yeah if you've got let's say you lose all your shit on holiday and you need money. It's the easiest way to get money. Yeah, but it's a ball, eh? Like, I've got to pay some stuff for a stag do. And like, by the time I'd looked into the process of doing it, I thought, I'll just pay it when I get there. No, no, don't worry about that. There's, there's a solution coming for that. Don't I'll worry. pay it when I get there, don't worry. Don't anyway. Worry. This podcast was sponsored by Western Union. <laughs> Shit. For business. all your money transfer needs. <laughs> um, there are other providers. That... I won't mention them. Eastern Union, no. Northern Union. Is it South Central Union. <laughs> um, that is about all of the <coughs> stuff we've got on our agenda. That's it. About Western Union. Wrap up. Yeah, Let's nice, be safe. Nice short podcast. Um, trying to think. We've got, uh, okay, just to read off the agenda. No, Cheeseman versus oh, Garcia. Sake, giving away the beauty. Don't read off the agenda for fuck's sake. You make us look like amateurs. <laughs> Uh, I think having an agenda makes us more professional, doesn't it? No, it Not doesn't. my agenda. Agenda's <laughs> terrible. Look, what about the hidden agenda, for All fuck's right. sake? The Sky Show from last week. And you just talk about what bits you want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> want to touch on, let, let's touch on Craig Richards' Jake Ball. Okay. To hold, this is... 
I don't know if it was on this podcast, but I remember saying, and I was confident that Craig would win that. And like, remember, we were messaging each other through the fight. I was out. I know. But I was, I was just like, oh my God, he's going he's gonna to break him. He's going to break him. No, no. Do, do you want me to read out what you actually wrote during it? No, nah, no. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think you did. <laughs> no, so, so look. <laughs> look, I'm going to focus on Jake in all of this and then I'll come on to Craig. If you remember when Jake fought JJ McDonough, we gave him a squeeze, right? We we gave him a pass on the basis yeah. it was all a bit farcical in the build-up. And, and, and JJ <clears> jumped him. Right? Yeah. He jumped a relatively green kind yeah. of guy. Like, almost literally jumped him. Yeah. Like, sent him over the ropes. And... <laughs> but the issue is, that was... Uh, take Craig away, that's still his biggest ever fight. And when was that? That's a couple of years ago, at least, right? Yeah. And I've been worried about Jake, not necessarily down to, it's not a talent issue with him, I don't think. But I think you get some people who are too brittle to be pro boxers because there's a robustness that you need physically. And I think Jake's problem is he's a big guy. In person, if you meet Jake, he's, he's huge, he's, isn't he? He's a big lump of a For man. light heavy. But you look at his record, finger injury, hand injury, wrist injury, shoulder injury. Elbow injury. He he picks up so many injuries that fights don't happen. Remember how many times this Craig fight had to, I mean, be put on the back burner because he wasn't a hundred percent. It was only the once, to be fair. When they meant to fight in July? No, it was meant to be back end of last year. Was it December? There was one in December, and I know <coughs> there, was, there were talks about them okay. fighting in July. But yeah, they were signed for December, and then yeah, they got like, called off. Yeah, and Craig was like, "Look, you've had enough of a camp," and then they're like, "Nah, we're not fighting him. We're not right." And at the time, the 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 ball camp were bullish. They were like, "Nah, when Jake's right, you know, he'll he'll school Craig." And I'm the sort of guy where I'll give an honest warning, and I've I've said this about Craig on this podcast numerous times. He is better than people realize. And here's the thing. Craig's not out of the gym. I, I don't know Craig to be injured. I don't know Craig to miss training sessions. I don't know him to balloon between fights. Craig's the sort of guy that he's the beneficiary of these incremental improvements to his game that come from training, you know? And so in that fight, you had a guy who was perfect for the amateurs and Jake Ball, because even if you're physically brittle, and this isn't saying Jake's a chicken or a pussy, I'm just saying physically his body's not robust enough to do this boxing shit day in, day out. And so what happens? He's up against someone in Craig who's physically strong, who's been training pretty much since July for this one fight. <clears throat> and they had the perfect tactics for Jake, where they just said, you know what? We'll get our timing off, and then we're just going to pick him off with the backhand. And once that first knockdown went in, you could see, you saw one guy who was in good form versus the guy who was still doubting whether he was as good as people were telling him. And it was sad to watch uh, Jake's confidence drain through that fight to the point where by the third round, you were just like, please, someone throw the towel and put him out of his misery. And yeah. now, now you look at him and you go, where do you go now if you're Jake Ball? Do you know, I was watching it and <laughs> we've had Jake Ball on this podcast before. Really nice bloke. But I still have issue with him over that Billy Joe Saunders stuff from last year and the fact that he was in that car with him. Despite the fact that his team have said, no, it wasn't him. I would be very, very surprised if that was not Jake Ball in there. And he's never come out and, you know, had any contrition towards it. And no one's ever asked him the question, boxing journalists take note. Yeah, so... Look, you can say it wasn't. I don't believe you. Let's be honest about it. Craig Craig came down to our live show first time round, trolled the shit out of us. Brilliant. Good on him. Because actually I kind of respected him for that, coming down and giving us shit about trolling people. Like, 
I'm okay with that. And I've seen Craig a few times since. So I was all on for Craig to win that. I was pleased for him. Um, I don't know what Jake does now. Because I can see him getting shipped over on a DAZN card. Some American like heavyweight. Um, Anthony Sims Jr. I can see him just tearing Jake Ball apart. And then that kind of, you know, as soon as his contract's up, Matrim getting rid of him. Whereas Craig... I, I don't you fear that he's going to be fed to Boatsy but I know Craig fancies that fight I know Craig has a confidence about himself in that fight he's got a confidence about himself for other fights as well um, there are a couple that I'd spoken to him about in the past you know big names in British light heavyweights that he fancies himself for and based upon last weekend I want to see him I want to see him and Boatsy if I'm honest like Boatsy has been tearing apart people that he should tear apart Craig Richard would stand up to him. Yeah, and like I said, don't underestimate how tough Craig is. You know, someone said to me, oh, he's not that powerful. And I said, next time you meet Craig, look at his forearm. Look at that run that he has from elbow to fist. And it's like a fucking elephant leg. Like, it's just, there's no, there's no deviation. It's just all solid. So perfect force transfer is sufficient. And so that's why you see when, when, he, when he throws punches, they don't look powerful. But you look at the reaction in the opponent and you're like, oh. Maybe he has got that 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 serious power, which just reiterates how great Frank Buglioni was. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, now that he's out of the picture, I think yeah, he's he's great. Very underrated as a boxer. I, I thought. <laughs> you know, well managed. I like. You know, he was navigated through the choppiest of waters. Like, there's not one soft fight on this guy's record. So respect to Frank. <laughs> Let me introduce so. you to Terry from six months ago, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> no, look. I'm really excited for Craig because I think this is that fight where he goes from a guy where we go, we, we need to see him do something to one of his peer group, which he's now done. So you say, okay, who do you give him next? To be fair, I'd like to see, I'd like to see him in a in a holding fight now. So I don't know who, you know, give him one of the small hall light heavyweights, right? Someone who, someone who should hopefully stand up to him. Let let him have a few rounds with that while they. While they sharpen some things up now, you know, I talked to to the guys in Craig's camp and I know they're working on some different things because they realise, you know, what gets you to a Southern area title is not what's going to get you to a British title. So, you know, they're retooling and so forth. And just, can I just touch on something here? I want to talk about what I call ghost trainers and how often they don't get the credit they deserve. So if you look historically, people always talk about the Cronk and they talk about Emmanuel Stewart. Rarely talk about Bill Miller. Like Bill Miller was one of the important faces of the Kronk, but he was that guy that was just in the background. And until he got James Tony, no one really knew who Bill Miller was, unless you were a real boxing guy. But he was an important part in building the Kronk as a gym. And there were many other guys like that in the Kronk that helped Emmanuel Stewart. Emmanuel Stewart trained people, but he wasn't doing everything with everyone. So these guys were the unsung heroes of the Kronk. And you get a lot of that in British boxing. You get guys who who do a lot of the actual training. Yeah. And then on Saturday night, someone else is in the corner. And they don't necessarily get the respect they deserve or the profile. Because these guys also deserve to have fighters knock on their door and say, can I work with you? Take someone like Terry Stewart. Terry Stewart does more work than you would think based on when you see him leading a corner. Terry Stewart does a hell of a lot of work. I've been in the gym with Terry. I know he does. He's an incredible trainer. And I mean, I'm not being horrible. He's an older man. 
Like, for his age and the effort and the enthusiasm that he still has for the sport, bringing through young lads, even though he's brought through lads that are probably retired now, like, he's still got that enthusiasm to be doing it day in, day out, and get down to to that gym in Loughton. Man's incredible. Like... a lot of love for Terry. Yeah. So you got him. You got guys like Tony Pill, who does a lot of work with Don's fighters. You know, Tony's jo- a great bloke. Josh well. Burnham does a lot of work in the shadows. Um, Adam Booth's got the guy. I think it's Charlie. Don't even know his name. Who does a lot of work with fighters who are in the Adam Booth camp. I know Richard Towers is connected with that as well. He does some work with Caldwell's guys. There are all these sort of guys who do a lot of great work in the shadows. What I like with Don Charles' gym, someone like Tony or someone like Josh, they actually get to lead the corner on fight night and then Don will step back and sit in the background and still be there, still be in the corner. But Tony would take like a Tom Ansell, for instance, and actually corner him himself with Don's kind of oversight. Uh, I think, yeah, it yeah. gives those young up-and-coming trainers a... You know, a tutorship. Yeah. And, and it's because I like to shine light on it because, for example, the guy that does a lot of work with Craig's a guy called Big Don, Don Smith. Don, yeah. Now, Don and I did our, we started off doing our coaching badges together years ago. And so we've stayed in touch. We've been friends ever since. So I just want to make sure people realize that this guy can really train guys. I know he's walking around at 140 kilos and whatnot. And I told him that you need to come down in weight. But he's doing a lot of great work with Craig. He's doing a lot of great work in that match from gym with all the other guys that, that you don't normally associate with Don. So if you are a boxer out there, I mean, keep an eye out for guys like this, these sort of faces behind the faces, because these are the guys you might want to be looking at as training options further down the line. Terry's in a positive mood today. I like this. I like it. Well, now. It's good. Well, now. But no, so on that match room card, listen... It might feel like I'm giving Jake Ball stick. I'm not. I'm not going to be a guy that says Jake Ball needs to retire. I do think Jake needs to rethink how he boxes. And he's got to do what Amir Khan does. And just be aware that maybe he don't have the chin and the toughness that you think you do. So start just trying to take people out in the first round. Man. Be like Javante Davis. Don't <laughs> First round stoppages. Because <clears throat> he's, he looks, he's big enough. And I imagine he's strong enough that he could just set upon you in the first round and, I mean, catch you cold. And I, so, I, you know, you know, I know the JFB guys occasionally listen. And I'll probably get a phone call about this. But I want to know what the plan is for Jake. And I want someone to come out and be honest because that Dom Ingle shit ain't working, right? R- roll back from that. You know, it's, it felt like a good idea at the time. Roll back from that. You might want to get him back with someone like a Terry Stewart, someone who knows him. You know, maybe the guys down at Guildford Boxing Club, because I know they're trying to build a pro setup and they would have probably known the Ball family for years. Maybe that's what he needs. Let me ask you a question. If if you, um, you're a young boxer or, or a coach of a young boxer and you've got this guy's coming through and you, you think this guy's going to really do really well. He, he starts his pro, he's at a, let's just say he's got an accomplished amateur background to whatever level, but... Mm you consider yourself or this guy accomplished and you think he's going to have What's a promising um, professional career. What's his name? John Johnson. John nice. Johnson. Strong name. <laughs> JJ. What's um, his moniker? What's his moniker? Um, <laughs> Come on. Like, if we're going to have a backstory to this shit, I want, I want it thought out. Um, John he, Flashlight Johnson. Let's go. <laughs> John Flashlight Johnson. If, amazingly, that is what I was going to say. So... After, after, after three professional fights... How, how old at this point? He's... I don't know. But the, he's after three... He's, 
Fucking hell. It's no rolled doll, is it? <laughs> you come to the conclusion, maybe three, four, a, a determining amount of fights, you realise that he's actually not got it. He's not got whatever it is. What? Where does your mind go? Do you try and do you try and improve him? Is there, or what can you then go? Where can you aim that career at? Because presumably he's too young to be a journeyman. It depends what your deficiencies are, doesn't it? So you can have the deficiency of you just don't have the stomach for it. Let's say chin. Let's let's say chin. You've got a glass chin. (laughs) <laughs> that hasn't been identified in the amateurs. And as soon as he gets the, the professional fights, he's maybe won his first fight on points, but the next two he's been chinned in the seventh and the third okay. or something. So so first thing, just to explain to the guys listening, the difference between the amateur 12-ounce gloves and the pro 10-ounce gloves, in terms of beaks that have now been hit by both, is immeasurable. Like you can, the shots from the shots in amateur gloves are uncomfortable and they hurt. But when you've got the the pro gloves, n- next time you next time you're near a box and they've got their hands wrapped and they're in those gloves, just touch the knuckle and realize it's virtually bare knuckle. Ten ounce gloves are horrible. Yeah. I remember taking my old man to York Hall and Dave Evans who was a whip down there. Um, he was handing out gloves to the fighters and he was just giving them their pair, their pair, their pair. Um, so I grabbed some and like my old man was there with me and he couldn't believe how little there was like when you put your hand in it and you can still feel your own knuckles through it <laughs> he couldn't believe and I know you've then got the wrapping around the hand and all that but just the fact that you could feel your own knuckle through those gloves he was mortified by it <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely savage and I always find it interesting that guys will make their debut having not sparred a single round where the other guy had 10s yeah. on. And that's dangerous. Like, I always think before you make your debut, yeah, train in 10s, spar in 10s, get hit in 10s. Because then that psychological show, I think it was Carl Sladden was like, I couldn't believe that like, he was, he was shocked on his debut. What about, he's like, Jesus, it really hurt. It was like, as a mate, that's more of a psychological than a physical thing. Yeah. So now you know it for next time, you, you won't feel the same way. I guess what I'm trying you know, to... No, I, I know where you're getting to, but you've got to frame it. You've got to put that structure yeah, no, I get it. that. But if it's that, if it's that, it's something that can be fixed. He wasn't fit enough. He's, he did the weight wrong. We didn't really strengthen him. If it's those things, wrong fine. If it's, if it's that he's chinny, you try and look for strategies to deal with that. If it's just that it's not in him, and I can't put it any other way, but you just know when it's not in someone... Then you've got to have that conversation to go, mate, this isn't in you. And the right. more you do it, the more you'll find out it's not in you. Right, but he's now <clears throat> three fights into a professional career. What are his career options? That's what that was the main Are you saying that he's lost these fights or he's won all of them but no, there were deficiencies? It was he's won I don't know, he's won the first one. He's capable of winning fights, but if he takes a knock to the chin, he just, he, he, he's got a glass chin. So he's won the first one on points because the bloke he fought didn't have anything coming back, but he's lost the seventh and he's lost in the third in the next two fights. Right, just, Why is he having a, a 10 rounder in his second fight? <laughs> what kind of kid is this? He's had 250 you, you, amateur yeah, fights. Ukrainian. <laughs> but he's now finding out his chin chin. Fuck yeah. about. Yeah, because he wore a chin guard. <laughs> I'm just no, trying look, to, I, no. I mean, it's difficult to paint an exact picture of like, I'm, I'm trying to get at what, when you're sort, sort of used to as a fan going, when when you watch boxers coming through, 
they're, oh, he's going to be good. He's going to be good. Like Daniel Dubois at the moment, you expect him going to be good. If, for example, they find a major flaw in his fight, in in his technique or in him, what are his what are his chance? If you was a David Price has had a ten year career. I'll, I'll give you an example. You right? I'm not going to I'm not going to use the name, but there was a fighter um, who had a very very good start to his career, and he was then on a bigger show, and he still won the fight. But I knew some of his team. And they stood there whilst this fight was going on and they looked at each other like, this isn't what we thought it was. Like, there are problems here. When he was in the corner, he was almost turning his back when he was getting pressured because he hadn't had that pressure before. And suddenly this opponent was like, right, I'm going to stand in front of you and properly let my hands go. And he didn't really know how to deal with that. And it was the first time it happened and he kind of turned and he was in the corner like wincing a bit. And at that point, you could see the alarm bells going off with a few members of his team. And this lad was very, very highly thought of. Still fighting. Um, he won the fight. And I think his team realised that there were changes that needed to be done to him. Of like, he, um, you know, he went on and I think yeah, he did change trainer eventually. So I think he realised that himself. But after a loss further down his career. Um, and those deficiencies may still be there. But it's down to an opponent to pick up on those deficiencies for a start. Now, Chinny... Like, okay, if you got fucking iced in fights two and three, it's going to be pretty clear that there's a problem there. It's down to other opponents to pick out those deficiencies of knowing that this lad doesn't like a pressure fighter, like just relentlessly going on to him because he doesn't know what to do. You might have all the skill in the world, but if somebody stands on your chest and just froze and froze and froze, then there's a problem. But that's the difference. So someone says to me, what, what's the one quality you look for in determining whether someone will make it? to the highest level in the sport. And it's, I just say, it's the courage to do what you've been taught to do under the most extreme pressure. That's what I train people to do. There's composure. Composure is required. And if that goes, you can see it in a fighter when the composure is not there. Whether that's like all out anger or whether it's panic, there's different ways of showing when that composure That's when the courage goes. So so what happens is a a kid will jump in and he'll hit someone with a jab. And if the reaction to that jab isn't what he thought, so if the guy goes, yeah, and walks through, it's now shit. He's walking through my jab. Have I got the courage to keep jabbing him, knowing that he can eat these all day? A lot of people jab, they don't get the reaction they want. So they look for the harder shot. Instead of realizing he can't resist many more of these jabs and keep jabbing him, keep jabbing him till you break down his will. And there's, it's that courage. And you can't train that in someone. You create environments for them to show it and to reinforce it within themselves. But I can't make you brave. And a lot of guys go through the amateurs and they're not exposed to the the rigors. And this is what makes Craig different. Craig was always the outsider. He came up in that era where Joshua Barty was just cleaning up in Southeast London. So Craig knew to get out of London, he had to beat maybe the best 81 kilo guy out there. So you imagine your Craig as a pro now. You're like, well, in the amateurs, I was always up against it, but I still managed to tough it out. Now, if you're one of the golden boys and you've never had that problem, what happens? We're going to talk about Ted Cheeseman in a second. You look at Ted's career. Ted was always able to grind people down by being braver than them, tougher than them, harder than them. 
you know, all the way through the schoolboys, when he boxed as a junior, even as a pro, look at what he did to Carson Jones. He managed to grind down Carson yeah. Jones, grind down a senior byfield. And mm. when it came to this kid, Sergio Garcia, who said, I've got the courage to stick to my boxing against what you're doing to me right now. You see the difference immediately. I guess um, in when we talked before about um, uh, O's and them being them seem seem to be the be all and end all. I guess when you look at a fighter coming through, you expect that person as the, the trajectory of their career to go in in a line that gets exponentially better until they're a world champion. No, it flattens. Okay, all right, but okay. When they become world champion, right? You, well, no, because they might have periods. Take um, Lawrence Coley, for instance. So Lawrence Coley has gone up, 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 up very quickly. But you suspect now they're just going to flatline it for a little while. He's changed trainer. He's hit that British level. There are question marks about him. So now you just need to put the brakes on and say, stay at British level whilst we figure a few things out about you. Find out whether... Because if he'd have carried on at the rate he was going... You know, you'd expect him to be fighting for a world title in like two fights time, which is unrealistic of the bloke. And so instead, they've had to say, "Look, we've we've accelerated where you are, but now let's let's consolidate what we've got." So, if I, I, the main point of my question at the beginning was, if on that journey suddenly, as a trainer or part of the or the boxer, he hits a brick wall and it's suddenly obvious that he's never going to reach the level that you were on that trajectory of where do you point his career after that because that seems to be for me a devastating hit that a lot of boxers must take because you find your level boxing's about finding your level so back to frank bullioni frank bullioni's a british level fighter well however long frank's career would have gone on for frank would have always been that guy that could fight for a british title and it will be a credible fight wadi kamacha is always that guy that sits somewhere between area and british that's that's who Wadi Camacho yeah. is. That's and with Frank, career. you know, he had his, his moment fighting for the WBO world title, um, a super middleweight. He had offers to fight Andre Ward. He had offers to fight Sergei Kovalev. Frank was one of the few boxers that was sensible enough to say, no, like, I don't want to fight Andre Ward because I know that's not a fight that does anything for me. I might get paid for it, fine, but I'm not going to win it. I know I'm not going to beat Andre Ward, so why would I want to go and do it? Why not just stay at my level... <laughs> And keep doing what I'm doing. God, God doesn't need the I money. can relate to that mentality. <laughs> but that's perfectly fine. Like some people might say that's a real like some people might say that's a weak mentality as a boxer. I completely disagree with it. I think if you're realistic enough to yeah. know where you're at, then what's the harm in that? If you if you go I'm just choosing my words. Rather carefully than choosing here. to go and be fodder for Andre exactly, Ward. Exactly. He's like, actually gone. No, find, find someone else. Someone <laughs> who turns up and goes, Yeah, I'm gonna really get stuck in here. It was actually a fuel for your for your um Terry, for your sort of tirade at that point of like, don't tell everyone you're gonna kick someone's head in and then get in the ring and go, just wasn't my day today when you get Do you know what we've seen that in recent in the recent do you know, months. Do you know what that podcast there, right? got me into so much trouble. I'm still dealing with the consequences of that rant. And it exposed a lot of people as cockroaches in boxing. <laughs> as real fucking cockroaches. Scumbags. Because... Cockroaches No, no, because no, 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 here's why. You can't take what is said generally and then go make it out to be specific. Do you see what I mean? My statement then, as it is now, was general. 
when you're given a platform to go and do something, wherever that is. So if someone said to me, Terry, you're on a matchroom show and you're doing rounds. You've got John with... Flashlight Johnson. Yeah. You're... <laughs> yeah, look, you've got a six rounder. You're likely to be televised. My first mindset is this is my, this is my shot. Nothing matters after this fight. This fight is everything. And however that fight goes, I should be able to walk out of there and go, there's not much more I could have done. But I watch people and I go, there's more you could have done because I've seen you do better. How, how, how is this your biggest moment in your career, not your best performance? Remember I said to you before earlier, the courage to do what you've been taught under the most extreme pressure. That's what separates those who really make it from those that don't. <laughs> John Flashlight Johnson. It's his what big moment terrible, as well. Terrible, Monica. And why do they call you Flashlight Jack, uh, John? Well, because I could you turn could it on and off. Turn, you can turn me off at any moment by pressing the button. <laughs> then he points to his chin proudly. But you know, <laughs> you know that's who you're fighting in, like the second fight of the new Fight Night game. It's <laughs> just a guy in a John gym, isn't it? John. You know those terrible ones in the gym where yeah. there's like three people stood up. Go on, John. Go. On. That's that's John. Go, Char. Go, Char. <laughs> No, but look, and your challenge is knock him out in under 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, but but you, you're right. It's find your level in the sport of boxing. If you're a British level guy, call you a British level guy. Give us great fights at British level. Don't go around telling us you're a world titleist. You're not. You're a British level fighter. But there's no, nothing wrong with trying to aspire to that next level. So for yeah. Frank, when he retired against Meng um, over in Monaco... That was his last hurrah. That was like, we've got this Chinese lad who's meant to be shit hot. He's, he's going to be for like a, a WBA ranking belt or whatever. It wasn't a world title. And so it was that bridge between British level and world title level. And I think that was his, his final. Have I got something above where I'm at? And he didn't have it. He didn't have that. And whether that's age, whether that's just he never had the ability, whatever it was, I think he realized at that point, this is my level. This is where I'm at. Callum Johnson had beaten me and then Meng beat me. And I'm satisfied with my career and I can retire knowing that I've done the best that I could have done. You know, so, when you, there's, I think there's certain points in life when you realise you're the son of a millionaire and getting punched in the face is a moment where you're like, I'm the son of a millionaire. I'm good. But I mean, <laughs> talking about Frank, Frank's had many, 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 many wars, isn't he? That have damaged his skin, have done this and that. Yeah. He, he, many people apart from Frank, years ago would have gone, fuck, this job's hard. Yeah. Whereas Frank was like, I like this job. <laughs> no, 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 he wasn't. He wasn't. I still remember that Steve Bunce interview when, he's t when he was making the commitment to go to 175. And he was a broken man. And he was like, mate, I've had to do a lot of soul searching after that hiding. I... And he's like, I don't know if I really want it anymore, but I think if I can give it a go at 175 and see where I end up, then it's worthwhile. It was one of those interviews, and I'm, you know, I'm not Steve Bunce's biggest fan, but it was one no. of those where even Steve, no. he had to check his ego and just, it was one of those where he just listened and let Frank talk. Because, you know, Frank's a good talker. So Frank talked. And I, I remember going, ah, did that chewing of shit really, that fucked with him. I'm sure if he was being, you know, in a rare moment of honesty, he'd just be like, yeah, you know, I I didn't think he'd be that much better than me. I think we need a Jaffa cake. Are we sponsored by Jaffa cakes today? Uh, <clears throat> I wish we were. Right, I'm just going to pause it and have a Jaffa cake. Right, as I finish my Jaffa cake. You're still eating it. I know. 
But you I said you're eat- going to come back after you've finished eating the Jaffa cake. Instead, you're going to present this with a mouthful of Jaffa cake. <laughs> <laughs> I lied, right? Sue me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Grass. <laughs> Fucking hell, Theo. You just can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> Shout out Dev Sarney at Box Nation or BT now, isn't he? Yeah, hopefully he's still listening. He does. He listened, he, he tweeted me the other day about it. So, uh, my man. He's a good guy. But, you know, but, but I'm pro Frank now, which is weird, isn't it? I'm pro everyone at the moment. <laughs> so I'm definitely... I like this version of Terry. Are you on drugs today, Terry? Yeah, you're on, CBD oh, oil. Yeah, I'm on Volaft. <laughs> I'm on Volaf to stop me killing all y'all. Yeah. What, Lennox? What? <laughs> okay, let's get some semblance of normality back and talk about Cheeseman versus Garcia. What a horrific fight. Do you think the towel should have gone him? Yes, absolutely. But but before anything else, can we just praise Garcia? Because who expected that performance from him? If you look at his record, he was fighting guys who were losing records before that fight. Like it's not like Ted Cheeseman is a list uh, is on a list of illustrious opponents. This guy was just fighting what looked like journeymen. I didn't really know many of them, but it just looked like he'd fought journeymen up until this point. And then in defending that European title, he just showed. It just felt like watching an orthodox Sergio Martinez. And he did that thing that Martinez does beautifully where he never lets you set your feet. So every time, you know, Ted loves to set his feet, dig into that canvas and start winging those left hooks to the body, left hooks to the head. And Garcia just said, for 12 rounds, I'm going to keep skipping around you. And I imagine if you're in Ted's corner, first four rounds, you're like, "Ah, he's going to get tired after round six. We'll get him in the end. All right, fine. No different to the standard Cheeseman tactics. But I think I messaged you guys and I said, when you're from Spain and they've got that legacy of <laughs> of blood doping and EPO shit, and I'm not saying this guy's on that, but when it comes to the stamina game, I trust the Spaniards more than I trust the Brits. I think your words were people are pretending like Spain didn't, inv- <laughs> didn't, um, didn't master, EP- master EPO. Yeah. yeah. So this guy, I, I just said he's going to do the 12 at that same pace. So at that point there, I was surprised Ted didn't go back to boxing because he can actually box, you know, manage distance, use your jab, feint, shoot a jab to the body. Just start hitting what you can hit and then the head will follow. And and so you, after round eight and you're like, I, you know, I think it was Dave Caldwell or was it David? No, no, who was doing that? No, it was Andy Clark who did the card. He's like, I can't give Ted Cheeseman one round. And that's how I felt. I was like, it's very hard to give Ted any rounds in this fight. And so by the end of round 12, he's battered, he's bruised, and that's taken at least five fights off his career. And I'm like, someone had to be compassionate in that corner and say, this isn't Ted's night tonight. If I'd been in his corner after round eight, I'd have said, I need you to give me a big ninth round. And if you're not, I'm not letting you do the championship rounds because I care too much to watch you go through this. And that's how I felt about that fight. But I don't want to take anything away from Garcia because he's he's got a more evolved style than a senior Byfield. Byfield's got that kind of, you know, constantly moving, awkward to really pin down and hit. But he hasn't got the stamina that Garcia's got. And he hasn't got the simplicity of movement. So Garcia just moves very simply. He just circles around. 
and keeps you off balance with a jab. And then everything else follows off that. It's always combination punches. So if he throws three punches, even if one hits, it's enough. It was, it was tough to watch that. But hopefully Ted learns from that and he comes back stronger. So we've covered Cheeseman Garcia. We've covered Bull Richards. Um, now we come on to the rest of the card. It was shitty. Um, and I mean, that's not just me saying like it was poor. When you see Sky's Adam Smith, their head of boxing, was doing IFL and boxing social, doing the rounds, doing interviews. And there was a really good one that Coogan Cassius did with him where he, he actually got some stuff out of him that was quite interesting. But he was saying like that card wasn't good enough for a Sky fight night. Those were Adam Smith's, not verbatim, but that was the gist of what he was saying. Not in like a clouded way. It was just, I've had words with Eddie about this. This wasn't good enough for what we're giving out as a Sky fight night. So I, I went out, I had no idea what the... Well, I do know there was like Lawrence Cody versus someone. Um, Fabio Wardley, I think, was on it. And that's about it. Like, I can't remember the rest of it. And then they just did some face-offs, didn't they, Terry? I think you... So they had Waddy Camacho and Lawrence Acoli, yeah. and they had... I can't remember what the other one but was. But why are they even promoting that? It's like, that's a big event. Like, that's the thing I didn't understand. That, 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 and this is where I think Matchroom are dropping the ball, right? We know who Waddy Camacho is. You can't, you can't con us. Like, that's the dude that Isaac beat on your show, on your channel, with one arm. And Isaac's the guy Lawrence beat. So now you want Lawrence to fight this guy who I'm sure couldn't beat Luke Watkins. And that's a big deal? Or we're unifying the belts? But it's, like, <laughs> it's a strange one because it's a belt that Lawrence has dropped already. Yeah. Like, why, why, <laughs> if he didn't drop it, he could have unified himself. Yeah. It's almost like, what's the story here? But for, for for you to be dragging Waddy into the ring, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I understand you announcing the fight. I'm, I, I have nothing against the fight. The fight makes sense to me. It's yeah, a, it's a good holding fight. I think. Look, you know, I know Waddy very well. I see Waddy very often. I don't think Waddy wins this fight. I don't think, and Waddy's improved no end. He has like under Terry Coulter as trainer, he has been brought along very very well. But Lawrence is a different kettle of fish to who he's been fighting. Um, but what he's boxing better than he probably ever has during his whole career. He's having a bit of an Indian summer to his career. But and good on him for taking this fight because it's not it's not insurmountable. It's not that he can't win it. You know we were saying like Frank Bullioni said no to Ward because it's not a fight he could win. This is a fight Waddy could win, but he might win it one in six, one in seven times. Well, so the chance of him winning it on that night are going to be fairly low. Um, I, I tell you why I give him more of a chance. He's what six five, six five, southpaw. Yeah, he's and he's experienced, he's, and his, his arms are actually long. Like if you're yeah. ever next to Waddy, Waddy's a, you know, I'm sure if his face hadn't been as battered as it is now, he probably would have been a model, right? He's got that kind of, you know, he's tall and he's angular. He's got really long arms, so he's going to pose Lawrence a problem he hasn't faced in competition yet. Yeah, and I mean he's. It's the experience factor. That's what Waddy's got in his, his favour majorly, is that he's had experiences of all sorts in that ring. All sorts. Um, you know, through to the extent of... Uh, was it Craig Kennedy, the one that he was accused of biting when he was in the ring? Like, through to that. So Lawrence hasn't been into these these hard moments. The Scottish fella where... 
you know, he, Simmons. Yeah, he was winning the fight up until the last minute or whatever, and then got caught and and didn't cover up. But these are going back years. So Waddy's been through. He's seen all of this. So he's got that experience. I just, you know, and there's nothing horrible against Waddy. I just, I don't think he'll win it. Um, but it makes sense for Lawrence and it makes sense for Waddy as a fight. But it's not a huge fight no. by any means. Like, it's not worth five minutes of Sky getting the two men in the ring to have a face-off. It's just a fight. That's yes, how I describe that's, that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. You know? But good luck to the lad. Um, so, yeah, the I, rest... I, I know that fight was offered elsewhere and I know what numbers were offered and I know guys who were just like, eh, no. You know? But, you know, we, we got those guys. We, 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 you know, we, we're marinating you. We're cooking you. You know, Fitzroy Lodge have got the kitchen and our team have got the utensils. <laughs> fuck are you on about? <laughs> um, so now I think it'll be interesting, but that card was fairly crap. And then Adam Smith came out and said, this isn't good enough. I've had words with Eddie. And then they go and announce this Peterborough card they've got coming up, which is... Jordan Gill versus someone headlining it. Okay. Um, and Poor versus Tommy McCarthy, is yeah. it? Good fight. Good McCar- f- perfectly good fight. Again, it's a fight. It, it's no different really than a Coley Camacho. Um, McCarthy's underrated. So McCarthy's an international level. He was an international level amateur. I think he's just one of these guys who's had unlucky career management. Yeah, he's not had the breaks that yeah. he would hope to have. Um, yeah. So, so for Richie, it's a uh, show us you're dedicated to this path because we're giving you what's his name? Was it Sam Hyde? Yeah, we gave you Sam Hyde, respected, decorated amateur ABA finalist 2014, and we're now giving you Tommy McCarthy. I know he boxed internationally probably six, seven years ago. So. It's like, look, we're giving you guys who can actually box. We want to see you ice these guys. Yeah? Ice in a slice, and then we'll keep building you up. And he did with Hyde, didn't he? Yeah. his face up. It was a horrible fight until that point. Um, And and I think Ricky will always have that punch in him. It's about what you do around that punch. You know, can you break people down before, you, you know, can you soften them up for that punch? Because let's say you beat a Tommy McCarthy. Then you're probably going to fight Wadi Camacho. Yeah, that's probably the trajectory now. So, what is there going? I need to put in a good performance against Lawrence. I can keep eating off this matchroom money. Yeah, and I so, feel for him. Do you remember when he was the matchroom guy? He was when he won prize fighter. Do you remember when he was Lawrence? Yeah. Oh man, boxing was cruel. Yeah, but I mean, this Peter Bricard isn't very good. It's coming up. Um, it's a next gen one, isn't it? So you can. But the problem is when you rebrand Fight Night as Next Gen, don't think people won't notice that. So I don't think it is. I, I think we're in a very interesting place right now. Matchroom looked to be moving down the value chain. So you tell me the difference between this Peterborough show and a small hall show. I'm kind of struggling to see the distinction. Agree. And I'm like, so is, is this where <laughs> we're at? Where Hearn's going to build you in your home area. So Jordan Gill's from that area. So having a show in Peterborough, fine. It's a, it's got a boxing identity through Cello Render. So boxing's not new. Tyler Goodjohn, he yeah. was from around there. Cambridgeshire. So you've got you've got guys there. And then look, Robert Smith used to box with St. Ives. So it's not like it's not uh, a hotbed of boxing. So are they going to start building these guys in their home territories now? Because if they are, then you're going to see more small hall shows happening here, there and everywhere. And if that's the natural model where they start to segment who they've got and go, right, you guys are here, the the chitling circuit, as we'll call it for now. 
until you graduate to Sky Fight Night. And then if you perform there, we'll put you on these papers. But that's fine. But then when you get Adam Smith saying, look, that wasn't good enough that Saturday night. And that was a European title fight um, as the headliner. But you're going to accept that Jordan Gill versus whoever he's fighting is good enough. Yes. Uh, no, no. Like just because it's got a different label to it of next gen okay. against fight night, so, like so, it's still it's not good enough. The only way I can clean Adam Smith up, and like you know, we'll discuss it later. But you know, I'm now Team Adam Smith. The only way I can clean it up is by saying that wasn't an O2 worthy show. Whereas if you're going to put something in fucking Peterborough Civic Hall, I can't cry when you give me Jordan Gill as a headline. I kind of agree, but then should that warrant a place on Sky on a Saturday night when people are paying their subscription to Sky for boxing content? That's a good question. Um, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that one. I think the answer is no. Being on it, like, I, I don't we get see... Johnny Flashlight Johnson on the card, it might, <laughs> it might make things a bit <laughs> Uh, but 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 there's also high hopes in Jordan Gill, so I can also see the investment in a 126 pound guy who's in a division that's quite exciting at the moment from a British perspective. So uh, that element I get, but I'm just yeah. But I think generally my expectations of boxing have been debased so much in 2019. I'm just rolling with the punches. You know, I remember when the benchmark for Sky shows was there'd be at least one, was it one title fight every show? We were told at one point by Hearn when he renewed that Sky contract, every Saturday fight night would have a world title fight on it. How's that going? Do you know what? All I can think in my head now is that, is that Ty and Booth reaction when he saw the wingy folks. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that, that Camacho Acoli card is okay. You've got Charlie Edwards against whoever it is for world title fight. You've got Ritson um, versus... Oh, this is how good the fucking card is. I can't remember the way corner. Townend, yeah, Andy Townend. It's a lot of damaged goods on that card, though. Camacho versus Acoli. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, a lot of damaged goods on there. A lot of, <laughs> lot of recycling's happening. It on is, that show. it is. Um, you know, you know, Ritson. I th- if I'm right, Ritson's of the same generation as Cheeseman, roughly. This, this is what I mean about there's this generation of guys that people had hopes for. Uh, actually, maybe Ritson's a little bit older, but. You know, I look at the, I just look at it. Go, go back to when these guys were kids, and you were having a junior championship, and in that junior championship is Huey Fury, Josh Kelly, Ted Cheeseman, and fuck knows who else. All of these guys who are about twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, whatever. All of these sort of this generation, like this was meant to be a golden generation. When you were around the trainers back then, people were so amped about this. But then you go. Would that generation have beaten the generation of 2003, which had Amir Khan, Nikki Smedley? There you go. You know whose kid that is, right, ladies and gentlemen? The living legend, the greatest man alive, the best trainer north of the Watford Gap of all time, Christopher Smedley, <laughs> the best Tyler in South Yorkshire, the best, the best boxing mind. I have encountered in all my years on this earth Chris Smedley's son, Nicky Smedley, fighting Amir Khan for the lightweight title as, as a junior. He lost to Amir Khan, but Amir Khan the next year went on to lose to thingy, Kinderland. So how good was Nicky Smedley? But he never quite crossed over. Who was fighting in the weight class above? Kel Brook. So you had, you had, I mean, you had that sort of caliber of guy. And 2013 was meant to be the, the rebirth of that sort of excitement. 
And if you look at guys like Ted and so forth, they just haven't had the level of tutelage that the guys of 2003 I think, had. to be fair, their careers are... It's difficult, isn't it? Because you look, both Ritson and Cheeseman have fallen at the same stage, which is winning that British title and then almost, you could argue, being rushed into that European level. Um, so Ritson was blowing people out in two, three rounds for the British. Cheeseman wins the British and then he's put into the European, loses. Same with Ritson, loses. You kind of think, are Sky having to try and create stars very quickly? So look, You've got someone there who's won a British title. They're undefeated. They're flying through the domestic scene. We have a gulf, a void, where we need to fill headline acts. We need to build those people as soon as possible because actually our headline acts are flying out to America and they're getting taken on the zone shows, say. Um, And so actually, there's those headline acts are either retiring, so your Bellew, your Hay, your Groves, your Frotch, they're all retiring, or the ones that are left behind are going over to America. But what's really interesting you about that? You can't. You're Joshua. Yeah. Um, there's no one in there. Eh. But look what's really interesting about that. All the names you mentioned are not matched from created. No. So all of those guys, Bellew. Bellew went through the seasoning stage in his career. Fights that no one ever talks about. You know, as a light heavyweight, he did his he did his time. Guys like Edison Miranda and so forth. He did his time. He did his rounds. Like by the time Bellew was a pay per view star, he was seasoned. You know, he was he'd been in tough fights. He'd been tested. Hay had been tested. Hay had taken defeats. You know, before he was a pay per view star, all of these guys had the seasoning that happened kind of off the grid, but not necessarily off the well, definitely off the pay per view grid. Um, even Dillian, who's another pay-per-view star, Dillian's seasoning and his toughening up happened on Goodwin shows, happened on Heliot shows. It happened. We, like, we saw that live. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is there has to be a thing that says we need to get our guys seasoned. Yeah, but for Ritson, a lot of his stuff happened on the Northeast shows when nobody yeah. was seeing it. But then look what happened when he got to that British level yeah. and they were just feeding him soup cans and he was icing them but then you're going mate you're doing two or three rounds like what's going to happen when there's a guy that stands up to you and then it's like right we need to find someone who's going to stand up to him and maybe try and have that fight off the grid but you're under so much pressure to televise Ritson yeah so here's it seems like there's a, um, a dynamic somewhere that's struggling in that as I say you've got the people that have retired the people that are going to America you suspect and I don't know you suspect Matchroom have got an obligation to put on X number of British Euro- British title fights or European title fights or world title fights under the Sky contract on regular Sky uh, on a Saturday night. And so you need to get these lads that aren't necessarily ready to go to that level. You need to get them to that level as soon as fucking possible. Like, get them, get them there. Because if you don't, you're not potentially you're not meeting any obligation that might be in a contract you've got with your broadcast partner and so are we going to see more of this that actually those like a coley's an interesting one what i was saying earlier about they're kind of stalling where he's at because his trajectory was so quick they're now stalling it is it that they see something special in a coley and they believe actually he's one that we can take on to that world level in time the other ones we're not convinced about just like, <laughs> gonna have to take a chance fairly early. Your Cheesemans, your Ritsons. I think I think Cheeseman was probably oversold for where he was, and that we're, we're all make, taking 
a lot more from that Carson Jones win than we probably should have done. Because if you look at Carson Jones just on paper, yeah, seasoned tough American fighter, gave Kell Brook hell. But really, Carson Jones is a club fighter in America. By American standards, he's a club fighter. That's why he ended up in Mexico fighting Margarita, right? Because he's a club fighter who fulfills a certain role. The problem you have in Britain is Carson Jones in Britain is a televised fighter. We don't have this thing that says these people should be B-sides. Everyone in Britain that's a boxer is an A-side. Oh, mate, I sell tickets, so I'm an A-side. Like, but talent-wise, mate, you're a club fighter. You'll make more money taking these guys rounds and challenging them. <laughs> um, an example I'd use, and I... and. I'm, let me use this with advisement because I might bump into the guy again, so I have to be careful. Like Dave Allen. For me, Dave Allen is a guy that when you have special heavyweights, like let's say Joshua was coming through now, Dave Allen is the guy that will take him rounds. Daniel Dubois, Dave Allen is a guy that will take him rounds. That's what Dave, like Dave, Dave's great thing would be that, you know, and there's no shame in that. But look at what Dave is. Because Dave sells tickets, Dave's on the other side. So then it's like, well, who have we got to take our guys' rounds? And we need to find that kind of club fighter class in Britain. That's why Kevin Johnson's still getting phone calls. Yeah. Because he's one of these guys who's learnt, oh, here's how I protect myself so I can go the rounds. And then when these guys get tired and run out of ideas, I can start to put some pressure on them, see... What happens? And that, for me, that's the true definition of a journeyman. And we don't have those in this country. I don't know how you get them because our model is geared towards telling people they're the A-side. And we very rarely have the real discussion. You still have the William Warburton to this world. Chris Lay's just, you know, dropped out. Kev McCauley. Um, I'm not saying there's a plethora of them. And actually, I think you'll see more go down that route over time. I, I don't want to mix it back to Brexit and shit, but that's going to have an impact because if you have to start getting visas for foreign fighters, um, then the small hall scene is going to struggle a bit. You won't be able to leave the embassy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at any small hall show up and down the country, a lot of that away side of the fight, uh, the card will be Hungarians, will be uh, somewhere from Eastern Europe, typically. Typically. That's why they're all here um, now, isn't it? <laughs> so they get flown over on the uh, Friday night and they get flown back on the Sunday morning. But if you start throwing in Brexit, if the pound gets weaker, if you have to start bringing visas for these people, if these people can even get a visa, because the argument behind the visa is, you know, if you're coming over here to work, you have to prove that you're doing a job that somebody else isn't able to do. Like that's going to, it's going to create a lot of difficulty. And if <laughs> then you've got the issue, you might get a visa that's worth 12 months, say. Who's going to pay for that? Is it the promoter that first wants to use them and then that visa's applicable for the next 12 months? Or does the promoter then start building relationships with those fighters saying, I'll get you 12 fights over 12 months? But actually then all these complications mean it would make a lot more sense for British fighters to say, actually, I could go on the road. I well, could go and do this. It kind of ties in with what I was saying earlier. Um, like you're saying about everyone flashlight the the A side, you've got journeymen, you've got genuine A side fighters, and there seems to be some sort of gap in the middle, which I'm sure a lot of fighters fall into. What no, no, are they? No, no, no. You, you don't have journeymen in my eyes. You've got you've got guys who aren't good. You've got guys who are good and could be incredible, 
and we don't have those guys in the middle. You know those sorts of, and I've mentioned this name before and said, he's the sort of guy, if you had a hundred of him across all the weight classes, Ernesto Twala, a hundred of him across all weight classes, he would give prospects the kind of nightmares you want them to experience early on in their careers. Because you're not really going to get years taken off your career, but you're not going to land clean either. So you're going to have to actually think your way into a fight. and You're going to get these new challenges. But we don't create that sort of lane because everyone's trying to extract value from someone who can probably, just because you can defend yourself. It's like, mm, you know, I've, I've said, you know, I've spoken to boxers before and it's been awkward conversations. I'm like, you're running around trying to sell tickets and you're struggling to sell tickets. Just go on the B side. You don't have to sell tickets. I've said this to loads of people. Like, what? And they get offended when you say it. Yeah, yeah. But and why? Mate, you're never going to win a world title. Don't. You can have your delusions, but now you're being stupid. And I've said this before. I'm like, bro, now you're being stupid. And they get offended by that. And you're like, <laughs> but you're like, look, you've got the kind of defense you could box at least three times a month for as long as you want. You're in a competitive weight division where they always need someone. You don't get knocked out. You got a chin. You can defend yourself. And you're gonna walk home. You're gonna walk out of there at the end of the night once everyone's paid with seven, eight hundred pound cash. Maybe more in the more glamorous divisions. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. But on average, seven to eight, maybe even nine hundred pound after you've paid everybody off. You could do that three times a month. But the mad thing is, you're probably not even having to pay anyone off. As a, so he, he, no, no. So like a second, so somebody who's helped train you, somebody who's gym you've used for the week yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Those people, I'm not talking about paying somebody off illicitly. I'm talking about yeah. his, you know, after you've taken your money from the promoter, you're probably left with seven, eight, eight fifty. Because you only Three times a month you could do that. You look at someone like Chris Lay when he was fighting. He had fights lined up. You know, Louis Van Pooch. He's got fights lined up for like weeks. We've talked about this before, and that's why they don't. That's why they don't want to get knocked out. Yeah. So I don't want to get knocked out or cut because it interrupts the whole. You, you get a thirty day. Interrupts my business model, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, but but they're a journeyman that you meet, right? And they they've got day jobs, and the boxing's a nice income. So you'll see it's holiday money. You'll see a journeyman in a Range Rover. Like this is not unusual. You'll see a journeyman in a Range Rover. And you're like, he's living better than the A-side guy that he lost to. Yeah. Because he understands the game. I always find it funny. William Warburton's brilliant because William Warburton's, I mean, he, he's got talent. It's undoubted he's got talent. He, um, it was a guy that fought Jarrett Hurd recently, the British guy. Wellborn. Jason Wellborn, British title holder. William Warburton beat him like only a couple of years back. Um, but Warburton's got over 100 losses on his CV. And you see him, he turns up for fights, and sometimes he fancies it, sometimes he doesn't, uh, and sometimes he'll just walk you around, and sometimes he'll actually throw back. Um, that's so a good journeyman for Ar- Aaron Morgan. He iced Aaron Morgan, didn't he? Yeah. When Aaron Morgan was like 12-1, and one, something like that. Oh, because um, he lost to, to Piggy as well, didn't he? Yes. Pigford. Yeah. But Warburton turned up that night and just went for it. Um but Warburton, after he's fought, he's great to talk to because he'll tell you how good that kid is that he's fought. That, that's the perfect journey. That's what. So when people talk about this, this person's a journeyman, that's my test for a journeyman. Can you take the guy the rounds, go to his promoter and his manager and go, 
Here are the weaknesses. I he see. always he will. Weaknesses. If you ask him, the, you got to ask him the question. He won't just come because he's a very quiet, unassuming gentleman. But if you sit and talk with him, so he'll come and sit down next to Ringside by Sip um, for some shows. And <laughs> like he'll tell you about what he's been doing. So last time I saw him, he'd off, he weighed in and then fucked off to McDonald's. To go, and he's like, oh, I was really slow in there today because I'd had like six chicken nuggets and a large Coke and a large chips. So I just wasn't really feeling it. I was a bit bloated when I got in the ring. <laughs> but he'll say, you know, like that lad's got a good right hand or he just can't hit. Like, or he's not quick enough or I could have... Um, you know, a couple more rounds, I could have taken him out. There, he'll tell you everything about that kid and how far it'd be interesting. That'd be a really interesting thing to do is get his diary and after each fight, just get him to make a note. How far do you reckon that kid will go? Yeah. Area English, British, etc. That'd on be that, such an interesting thing to do. On that, some someone of his sort of quality. What percentage of fights that he's involved in do you think he could win if he wanted to? Most. Uh, more than 50 really yeah wow he's that and so here's that's the beauty of a journeyman it's on if he's feeling it and all the skills and experience tie in in that moment he's a nightmare because he's already got the seasoning and some, you know, like sometimes like that day, he wouldn't have won, I don't think, because he was saying, like, I've just been down McDonald's, and I feel really shit. Um, but there are sometimes you see it with journeymen where it's some young prospect, usually when they're making their debut, comes firing out of the blocks as fast as they can. There's a really interesting story <coughs> by Carl Greaves. Or is it Johnny? I'm sure it's Carl. And he was talking about a young uh, lad in Portsmouth, Floyd Moore. <clears throat> and Floyd Moore comes out on his debut and his Floyd Moore's like as his career went on he was a massive ticket seller but he was from the early days as well Floyd Moore comes out round one ding ding starts swinging away at Carl and Carl's been told like look take this kid around a bit like give him a test and see what happens and Floyd comes out swinging 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 and you kind of know what the journeyman role is which isn't always to go out there and try your hardest to win but make sure you give this lad a test Second round goes, and he said, Floyd's like leaning on me. He's fucking knackered. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he's, he starts whispering into Floyd's ear. He's like, just slow down. <laughs> just slow down. Stop trying to knock me out. You're not going to knock me out. Giving him coaching advice. Yeah. yeah. It's in the book <laughs> Journeyman by Mark Turley. It's a really interesting book. Um, but yeah, he's he's talking to Floyd through the fight, and a lot of journeymen do this anyway. They'll talk and like taunt the prospect. But Floyd was knackered then because he'd blown his load in round one, and then like round two, three, and four, Carl's trying not to knock this kid out because he wants to get out of Portsmouth alive, but also is <laughs> trying to take this kid through the rounds. And Carl ended up winning the fight on points. <laughs> he was talking about like I really shouldn't have. I wasn't even trying to win the fight, really. <laughs> But it ended up happening by accident, almost. <laughs> but but this Just is but but, but but no, but this is what I mean about who's training these guys. Do you see what I mean? You know, if you've got a decent trainer, you shouldn't be going balls to the wall in the first round because you should have the context to go. Look, you're doing a four rounder. You're expected to win. You don't have to go ape shit. If it's there in the first round, take it. Don't force it. Simple instructions. And I mean, if you've got a boxer with two brain cells, he should be able to understand that. But actually, I can't, you know, I can't take shots of Floyd Moore. He's his cousins with a friend of mine, a school friend of mine. 
which I didn't find out until recently. But Floyd's a great lad. I've got he's retired now, but he's got a nice yeah. little family. Um, yeah, good he's been through a lot of struggles in and out of the ring. Um, but yeah, it's just it's an interesting story. I've I've asked him about it before as well, and but, he but, confirms. But yeah, but but back to where we were before. It'll be interesting to see if we start to see Matchroom do those kind of smaller hall type shows, and what that does for the existing incumbents in those roles. And that's that's not just London based. That's Manchester. That's Yorkshire. That's Newcastle. What what does the matchroom model do? Is the is the matchroom model now simply to try and dominate as much of the landscape as possible? Because if you look at Frank, Frank Warren's like there's a clear line. I don't want to delve into that small hall game, but I will probably pick up the talent I see there. I just don't want to carry that risk and that over. Um, I don't know. He does shows at Brentwood. That's small hall. Yeah, but, but not with small hall names, though. Does uh, that make sense? I'm pretty sure if you look for the undercard, there are. Well, the point. headline might have a couple of Dubois yeah. or Yard. and that, Yeah, which is my point. So like a, a Dubois versus a Konjangu. Konjangu. Yeah. The Romanian fella that fought yeah, uh, I, Parker. Yeah, I can't call that a small hall show, if that makes sense. No, I agree. But if you took yeah. that fight off... You could call the rest of it a small hall show. Who else is on that card? Yard, no, oh, Yard's on there. Wait, how dare you? <laughs> you, you nearly, you nearly had me. <laughs> Smallest of the small, eh, Terry? Oh, you nearly had me. Oh, you do not get the WBO number one on a small hall show. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But, you know, we, we pick holes at Yard. Lerone Richards has that European belt as well. What's happened to Lerone Richards? I feel for him. Like, where is he? No what? idea. What has happened to Lerone Richards? Do you know, oh, I'm, I'm actually I'm trying to message Eddie Lamb now. What's happened to Lerone Richards? <laughs> I'm genuinely concerned. Can we put our missing person appeal on him? Um, should we talk about the WBA rankings? Can I go for a piss before that? Which will sum up the WBA rankings. Yep. Um, magic pause button now. Okay, back through the magic tunnel. You still uh, eat another Jaffa cake? No, I'm eating a biscuit now. Oh, okay. I've got a biscuit. No, I'm all right, cheers. I'm all right. <laughs> I only had two left, so I just ate them both. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> Fucking Johnny Flashlight. <laughs> Heavy man for himself. Just like, do you remember Johnny Flashlight Johnson's coach who did him over? In that high profile, yeah. I won't go into it now, but it's just like... It, it was, was those photos from the gym, wasn't it? it w- <laughs> and it was called Biscuit Gate. Um, so, yeah. I'm- Keep putting those biscuits in places. <laughs> yeah. I it was mean, a bourbon. All listeners will know what we're talking about. It was high profile. Anyway, yeah. enough nonsense. Yeah. And let's talk about WBA rankings. Yeah, no, there's a shout out for their special level of like country this week which is they've gone above and beyond so have you seen them like nope. okay mm. so they released their latest rankings um and there was a piece keith eidek had done on boxing scene i got it in front of me which was brilliant about javonta davis uh over in america fighting <laughs> um he fought last night didn't he stopped yeah. the guy in one Hugo round Ruiz or something yeah um <laughs> it starts off with da-da. it's been nine and a half months since the WBA crowned Javonta Davis its super world super featherweight champion it, and that's you're not misspoken there that's actually super world super 
Super Featherweight's a division. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Super World, Super sorry, Featherweight. I just got sucked, sucked into the superness. Mikado doesn't know to this day why he was in effect demoted after winning what he thought was the WBA's Super 130 pound championship when he came back to knock out Jezreel Corrales in October 2017. So it goes on to talk about how Mikado um, had won this title, the Super WBA Super World title. And then, effectively, the WBA made another super world title and took the super off the front of Mikado's <laughs> world title. Yep. Um, yep. And then yep. they were both fighting for their titles last night within, like, a stone's throw of one another over in America, like, rather than fighting each other. So if you remember back when we had Gilberto Mendoza, spoke with him on the podcast, and he we, made the... Well, that we. Was- I, I remember. I remember. I was at home. I remember. I gave you the opportunity, and you turned it down. But you know, we'll, well, we'll worry about uh, that another well, time. Well, no, I didn't receive the offer. <laughs> <laughs> you you weren't responding to my emails. <laughs> um, so okay, as a podcast, the proverbial royal we. Um, that was a long time ago. June twenty seventeen. Lots of not that I've looked changed. into this at all. Lots of things have changed, mate. Yeah. June 2017, and Gilberto Mendoza came on here talking about their desire, their wish, their aim to get it down to one champion per division, get rid of these super regular interim champions. I noticed Craig Scott called for this the other day of one of the um, one of the belts. Now that no one's holding it, can't we get rid of it? And I didn't I see like, that. Wishful thinking. No, no. It was a regular WBA regular title. No, but but, here, but here's the issue. I believe Mendoza intended to do that. I then believe Hearn said... No, no. Look how many belts you've got. Look how many shows I've got to fill. Yeah. You keep every one of those effing belts. So here we go. This is where the problem, like, when I was talking earlier about the rankings and what I put down on the agenda. So for welterweight, let me give you these just from, like... This is how many titles they've got. No, no, this is their rankings. So super champion, Keith Thurman. World champion, because you need both, obviously. Manny Pacquiao. (laughs) <laughs> number one in the division like outside of the champions Alexander Bes- Besputin number two Jesse Vargas Bes- Bes- Besputin <laughs> <laughs> Russia's greatest love machine <laughs> number two Jesse Vargas number three Jamal James wait for it well how many of these will be signed to the zone or are all signed to the zone <laughs> <laughs> number four fucking hell Lithuanian Egidius Kavalskis He's all right, though. Isn't he trained by Freddie Roach? I think he is, yeah. yeah, yeah Number yeah. five, that Kerman Laharaja, the one that just keeps beating up British people for Love fun. It. Number six, Connor Ben. Connor Ben is ranked number six in the world. Wait, 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 Last wait, no, month, no, no, he no. was ranked lower. He hasn't fought in that period. No, and yet he's no, gone up. No, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you now prepared to park your Anthony Yard hate for the most ridiculous ranking <laughs> ever? <laughs> He's ranked one place above Josh Kelly in seventh. One place above Josh Kelly because Conor Ben holds that WBA so continental, it, intercontinental title. In the title. last month, has he leapfrogged Josh Kelly? Or I think they might have both gone up. Oh, right. um, brilliantly, both of them are ranked above Adrian Broner in ninth. <laughs> so Adrian Broner just fought Pacquiao for that world title. So on that basis, Conor Ben could be picked out by Manny Pacquiao. Do you know, I'd love it if Manny Pacquiao did. Yeah. Just went, do you know what? Yeah, you're next. You're the next available guy. 
<laughs> but if he just went on a social media campaign, like properly going for him, <laughs> absolutely. Their rankings, you know what? It'd be much more. It'd, it'd be. It made much more sense if they just got a load of boxers of the same weight and just went uh, got their mobile phone numbers and went right. You're going to receive a text at some point today with a location. First ten people to get there are the first ten people on the list and the rankings list. It may have much more sense but, to it than. But here's just, the irony. That's not even the worst thing about those rankings. It's still Trevor fucking Brian. <laughs> Who has ever seen Trevor Brian fight? He is mandatory, isn't he, for the WBA? Is he mandatory? Well, for which he's belt? Right. Because you've still got Fraser Quendo being mandatory for the regular. Listen, Fraser Quendo's never fighting for that regular. He's waiting he's- for that super. <laughs> he's not stupid. He's there going, oh, I got injured again. Yeah, someone else take my spot. Oh, Joshua, you're oh, free. You, you want to remove me? Well, you can't. Yeah. I've got this legal paperwork. As long as Fraser Quendo can get licensed, he's going to be there chilling until, until they consolidate that belt and he goes, now I want my shot. He's like, he doesn't want 100 grand. He wants that Joshua money. Yeah. So, look, let's go back. I say June 2017, we spoke with Gilbert. We need to get him back again. Because those titles haven't got any better. They haven't got any better. Become a fuckload more lucrative, though. Yeah. I'd love to, so- I'd love to know their revenue figures since Hearn has ingratiated himself in their company. So, you know, it used to be that these people got in trouble because there was fraud. You know, you would pay so-and-so, the WBA, the WBA, whoever, the WBF make one up um, to get your fighter. WBA. <laughs> <laughs> to get your fighter into that top 10 so that they could be picked for a world title fight. Used to be the case. Nowadays, you have continental belts, you have intercontinental belts, you have all that stuff that somehow you end up with Conor Ben being ranked as number six in the world and rising. Doesn't have to fight and he's still rising. It's fucking madness. Who are these people who who basically pay to watch the fights? Like, in order for them to exist, there has to be some sort of uh, perceived value for those belts, right? Yeah. Is that from the fans or is sanctioning it from the boxers? Fees. Promoters or is it- pay sanctioning fees. But do you mean who cares about them? Yeah. Not not who's paying for them, who cares about them? Strictly speaking, if they had a million belts and they all demanded sanctioning fees, at some point someone's got to go, no, I'm not paying for sanctioning fees, which leads me to think, who's paying for them? And it who, looks good. who it is looks perceived good. To, to give them value? Is what so Jake Ball, Craig's, uh, Jake Ball Craig Richards was for WBA, whatever it was, title. Continental or something. And so he can be photographed in the ring afterwards with that. I'd imagine Craig Richards will probably end up in the top 15 of the WBA's ranking next month from that. So Sky can sell it as a title fight. Did you watch, and I think I know the answer to this already, did you watch uh, AJ's appearance on the Graham Norton show? No. No. Right, okay. I I caught it, right? It's not like... but So it was sitting there... The mere fact that you haven't watched it, but that it is a high-ranking show, shows Absolutely. me there'll be a certain audience that have seen Anthony My mum might have seen right, it. That won't. And they said, right, so explain to us about the, the fights you've had. You fought, and, and, and then they show Joe pa- Joseph Parker. And Graham Norton sort of looks at him and goes, oh my God, he likes pies, doesn't he? And apparently, in the pre- before he'd spoken to, before he'd fought Joseph Parker... He'd be on the show before, and um, 
Graham Norton had made a joke about him like him eating pies. And then Joe Parker had put on Twitter, I enjoy my pies or something to sort of end with a joke. Then when they showed a picture of Deontay Wilder, he's like, oh my God, it looks terrifying. Why would you want to fight him? And there was a little bit of a joke going there. Okay, explain to us the belts exactly. How does it work? So you've got, he said, I've got four of the belts already. And that's what fucked me off the most out of all of it. I mean, Graham Norton goes, why would you want to fight him? Isn't four enough? Ha ha ha. And all that. It's like, why is he pushing forward this IBO? Why do we need another belt involved? Again, sanctioning fees, but what? Who? Why? Does, no narrative. Does, more, in this situation, I believe it's more narrative because Hearn mentions the four belts as well. Now, up until not long back, the IBO couldn't even be fought for on British soil. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, like the board didn't recognise the IBO as a legitimate world title. Like they don't recognise, say, the WBU or the WBF. The board won't sanction fights for WBF world title fight. They wouldn't sanction them for IBO title fights. Now you do get it more. Um, I'm not sure where that you banked on the IBO, didn't he? And yes, he, he was did. Yeah, cutting it about at one point. Yeah. Um, I just with, when I hear things like that, I'm just trying to establish where this perceived value is. I mean, you said just a minute ago it looks good. Who does it look good to? Because it doesn't look good to even someone as ingratiated as I am. Well, now, massive. all those people that are football fans that would go to a Joshua fight at Wembley that don't really pay that much attention to boxing, the ones that are... No, I don't like using the term, but we use it now for the purpose of this. Matchroom FC fans that don't even know boxing exists outside <laughs> of matchroom shows. I don't like that term, but whatever. We'll go with it. Um, now... When they watch Hearn on an IFL interview, Hearn tells him it's four belts. Joshua tells Graham Norton it's four belts that he holds. And then Wilder only has one. So now the argument should be, you know, Joshua should get 80% of the the purse and Wilder should only get 20 because he's got four of the five belts. Despite the fact the IBO is relatively worthless in that scenario. And the and the last belt to have appeared in the what you would consider, I don't suppose you really can use this word, but established at least, not traditional, for is the WBO. Back yeah. thirty years, you were only fighting. How many years ago were you only fighting for three? Uh, Tyson was undisputed with three belts. So how did the WB come in? W- WBO come into pre- Frank Warren. <laughs> Frank Warren. So back in the day, the WBO was like this fledgling organization and frank was like you know what i'm gonna help you build and so those belts went on warren fighters and so it got built up in britain so is the ibo eddie's project to no no i don't believe eddie is it's it's trying to legitimize it it's a convenient trinket because i'm sure because for instance the gail eubank is for the ibo title the same ibo title grove said I'm not paying sanctioning fees for that when he beat Eubank and just got rid of it. That same title is being used for Eubank versus DeGale. I'm not really sure why, because they haven't then pushed it as a world title fight. So why bother make, with it? Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. When you're going back... But going it doesn't back need, that's a fight that doesn't need a belt. It and doesn't, 100%. It's back to our conversation we had a while ago. We're getting to a point where as fans, the fights are more important than the belts. So here's an example. If Wilder were to vacate his belt and and still Bra- fight Fury, and Brazil was to win and hold that belt, if Joshua beats Brazil, 
No one in their right mind believes Joshua is undisputed because there are two names that are credible disputes to his claim. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And so what Joshua doesn't understand, it seems, is we're not bothered about the belt anymore. It's just convenient that Deontay's got it. We're like, we want you yeah. to fight him or, or the other big yeah. guy that you've been hiding from as well. But you can't claim this thing about greatness. And this is why Joshua's brand has gone back. So I was talking to someone on Thursday night and she works in like the sort of branding space. And we're talking about Joshua and they were team Joshua. were talking about the brands they wanted to work with. And so the view has, you know, these big brands and it was huge. It was, a you know, not fucking links and these sort of backward brands. It was like real Rolex. establishment brands. And so I know it because she trains at our gym. We, we talk, right. It's not flying because Joshua's brand doesn't carry. Like we think Joshua's awareness is really high, right? But to the general public, to like the people you go out and survey, the people that Ipsos Mori go to, some know him, some don't, or they know his face and they don't know what he does. So when Hearn tells you this is the biggest star in boxing, even in Britain, the gap between people that know Joshua and people that know Canelo is not that great. In Britain, never mind in America. So now when they tell you they want to go to America, oh, well, when Joshua comes to America, he's going to be a star. And you're like, you do realise for the next four or so months, it's just going to be Fury Wilder in America. So when Joshua comes, all you're going to be talking about is that Fury Wilder <clears throat> rematch and the aftermath of that. Yeah, I, I don't. I, at this point, I don't really well, understand the point of the belt in as much as, in terms of their, uh, in terms of their relevance to a lot of fights. Yes, it would be nice to have someone who's undisputed, but in terms of relevance, it's like what color ribbon you're tying on your tank. It really makes absolutely no difference to if if you pick you you mentioned Brazil. If you had Brazil versus Parker. You wouldn't really care. No, nope. I I wouldn't really Even care. Even if it was for all the belts, I wouldn't if it care. was WBA regular, <laughs> WBA silver title, I wouldn't care. Exactly what you say. If it was for for some bizarre reason, Joshua and Wilder both vacated, and it was for all those titles, I still wouldn't care. And and if that in the most ho- high profile division is the case, I See, that's what I'm struggling to get round. Why are they paying sanctioning fees for here, for, for belts? Here's the problem. Lower down the division. Promoters are using analog concepts in a digital world. They still believe we're stupid enough that we don't actually know who's real and who's not. So they they trumpet this whole thing of boxer X is amazing. He's brilliant. Look at what he's done so far. And they'll give you all of these things that mean absolutely fuck all. It's like me coming on this show and saying, you guys all need to get excited about Big Joe. And you go, why? Well, he beat Valerie Brudoff. Okay. What's so special about Brudoff? Well, Bell, you beat Brudoff as a cruiserweight. And when Tony Bell, you told you Brudoff was a big name, that means Brudoff is a big name. You're like, well, that was four years ago. What does that really mean? You see what I mean? But you can spin anything. <clears throat> and it's on boxing fans to sit there and go, Eddie, and you know, I, we'll come, we'll come on to this. But that's why I said to Adam Smith. I said Joshua only has two fights that mean anything. It's Wilder because yeah. we need to resolve that once and for all. And if he gets over that, it's Fury. 
He wins those two fights. He doesn't have to fight anyone ever again in his life. But he keeps delaying that, right? And so you delay, you delay the Wilder fight. You delay the Fury fight. Now what's going to happen? The IBF are going to call their mandatory for Pulev, right? And in Hearn's own words, the WBO are going to call a mandatory for this year, which is looking like Dillian White. So you've got to fight two fights. I reckon it'll be Usyk, WBO. Potentially, yeah. Well, yeah, the WBO's rules are that if you, claim, if you vacate their title and go up to the next weight, you, you can be commanded. And, you know, is White really going to be in the good books of Hearn after what's been going on? Is he going to fight his corner? Is Hearn going to... He doesn't have to, though. Like, if, if, if Dillian is... Because he's number one now, isn't he? He is, but so he's not mandatory. Point, yeah, but at some point, he will be. At some point, but it could be that Usyk slips into that mandatory and then White has to wait for it to come back round again... And get mandatory status. Could you? Could it be possible that they'd ask Usyk to fight White as an eliminator? Potentially. Well, why, what, no, but if you automatically get the right, why would you? Yeah, but I said they could. Yeah, but what, well, if that was the case, but but could the, could, uh, could no, WBO no. go right? This is what we're going to no, because do. I think their rules are that if you right. vacate and you move up, so then Usyk would be like, "No, your rules say that I can just have it." Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so you wouldn't want? Why take the risk? But yeah, would yeah, Usyk course, really yeah. want to? fight Joshua straight away. I don't know when the WBO mandatory's yeah. going to do But I agree, cool. with, I agree with you in as much as like what you're saying there, I'd like to know when you've got these shows on where you've got, you know, the featherweight and you've got um, a featherweight fight, a super featherweight fight and they're both for the WBA, you know, Christmas tree belt. If you remove those belts from front, how many more tickets have you not sold? Agreed. Do you know what I mean? That's what I can't... But the, but the problem is, Who is right? making the decision no, 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 that this no, no, no. is worth paying so, for? Okay, right. I'm not going to call corruption on this. Um, <laughs> but... But, right. Okay, you, you have a... Fu- Fuck, how am I going to say this without getting sued? You have right. a fighter, right? right? And you want that fighter to fight for a world title. Uh-huh. That is your aim. And, and You're a promoter that puts on 10, maybe 20 shows per year. Okay. You've got billions of dollars to spare. Sweet. Hmm. Right. I'm retiring. Okay. No, no, no. You're oh, not allowed okay, to retire, sorry. son. Right, okay, Put these shows on. Right, okay. So you've got a fighter, Johnny Flashlight. <laughs> The best damn fighter this world's ever seen. You want him to fight for a world title? Yep. In a chin guard. You know, we have this conversation. Oh. We're just at over dinner on a train, maybe. 12 months time, you want him to be fighting for a world title? Yep, I do. I, okay. believe, I believe he's got it in him. Okay, so to do that, you've either got to get that mandatory slot or you've got to get into that top 10. Yeah, which I can do because I could just, you know, get him away. Recharge his batteries. Johnny Flashlight's ready to go. Not without my belts. Uh, oh. Not without my Continental belts, my friend. Uh, and that's how I get him to the top ten. You, you could probably get into number six, say. So with a, are you telling me that it's with a, light- a With a Continental belt. Oh, I have to get him. How do I get him into a position to fight for a Continental belt? Sanctioning. Come on, brother. You know, oh. lace my palm with gold. <laughs> and you, my friend, will be in the top ten. As long as you win the fight. Who are you going to fight for it? I don't know. Say a French kickboxer who hasn't got a very good record <laughs> that you probably lost on points to a your call. Um, you know, take that scenario. French kickboxer. Or, or a guy that runs clubs in London and regularly fights in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got high. He got Is he still high. ranked? I don't, I don't know, actually. Is he four? It doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't Can't matter. Up. Um, 
He, so, could be, he could be dead. So I'm not saying those belts right. necessarily mean anything to the paying fan, but if you want to get into my rankings, because I run the Martin Fearbold Boxing Association, if you want to get into those rankings, you better be fucking buying my belts <laughs> off me. So if you want to fight for my world title, you'd better lace my palm lower down the, the food chain. They are is like in terms of uh, like brutal in the, the WBCCFFCC our made up organization, yeah, yeah, which doesn't exist and has no resemblance to any uh, any, any boxing association in the world, any real life resemblance. Nope. Purely coincidental, so absolutely. Um, so those lower down belts, the um, acronym followed by silver, followed by bronze, well, silver intercontinental bronze, all they are stone is age. <laughs> Paleoglyphic uh, belt, yeah. All they are is basically financial struts holding up the bigger. You can't say that. That's slanderous. Listen, <laughs> I get a letter through the post, <laughs> and it's got WBFCCBBB <laughs> are suing you for. Damn it! No, no, they're a deposit for a bigger purchase. I guess that's what I was actually yes. trying to say. Yeah. So look, even if you want to get, look. I use that example of getting somebody into the top 10. Now, it may be that you don't want that person in the top 10 at all. It may be you have no intention of making them fight for a world title. But if you want my world title for the fighter over here, then you'd better start right. paying for any of the belts that I've got in any Basically, vacant... I'm, I can make them Once vacant. that financial model, so to speak, exists, then it can start being exploited in different if you want ways. This favor, if you or, want the big favour, if you want what you're paying the deposit for, yeah. you better do me a number of smaller favours. So if you're... Five, six of them, If maybe. you're a unified champion, if you wanted to manipulate certain uh, ob- obligatory mandatories that were coming up, you might pay for certain other lower down fight so that you could so that it might gain favor with the okay now look at it look at it differently let's say you're a promoter and you happen to have a boxer who generates millions in (laughs) revenue johnny fleshlight (laughs) and you happen to hold one of these governing bodies belts right just can't get enough of him (laughs) so you do and he'll make him come and what ends up happening is you say, well, actually, we've won enough of these belts that we've proved ourselves. We're now going to vacate your belt. I don't really need it. Yeah, we've proved our point. And then now the government says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Don't vacate. Right? Don't vacate. We need to find ways that we can all work together as a boxing community to enhance the fan experience. <laughs> and what fans like is fans like to see belts. And what fans, particularly British fans, like to see is British fighters high up in the rankings. So let's talk about ways we can, you know, keep the British fans happy. Or what about another scenario? I, the MTBA, have... Pure legitimate. Pure legitimate. I have um, a super-duper champion... And a kind of regular champion in my division. Flashlight. Flashlight and flashlight, right? And that's how I roll. Now, we all know in this room, listening, that my regular champion isn't really worth an awful lot because the super duper champion is where it's at. But they both got the world champion tag on it. Now, I'm not making a lot of money at that regular championship because everyone knows it's not really worth an awful lot. But you as a promoter come along who has that fighter with the regular title. 
and you come to me and say, there is a fighter out there who is worth millions. And I'm talking, he generates fucking shed loads on. Like, my ears will prick up. And you go, I will get him to fight your regular champion. And I'm like, this regular title's worth nothing. It's worth peanuts. Nobody fights for this. And you go, yeah, but I can organize it so that that one who fights millions, you will take your percentage of that one who f- fights for millions and millions and millions for your regular title. I'd love you for that. Why would I do that? Why? Because you, you know, your regular title holder. He was probably going to lose the fight. He's probably going to lose it. But you'll generate millions and millions and millions in this fight. But what, why would the guy who generates millions and millions, why wouldn't he be going for the super duper? Who gives a shit? <laughs> who gives a shit, bruv? Just line my, <laughs> line my hands. Did you see how it's Steps. all a little bit... <sighs> yeah. It's a little bit murky. It's almost like, it's almost like the belts are just... Uh, they're almost like... It's it's like the, you do me a favour for me to do you a favour. It, it's everybody doing everybody else a little bit of a favour. That's what it always seems it's, like. It's, you, it's if, murky because... So if you translate... if When I see belt, WBA, WBC, CC, BBCC... Put check. If I, if I just see favour in, instead of belt, that might make a bit more sense. Not in my boxing organisation. I'm legit. <laughs> no. No, it's a parasitic relationship because these governing bodies don't exist economically without the promoters. Fact. That's like, who's paying into them. Yeah. So there's only so much they can campaign for legitimacy, transparency, and honesty before they go, well, you know what? We're just going to piss the promoters off. So we're going to kill our own revenue by trying to do what's right for the fans. But ultimately, it's the fans that pay. You know, so as fans, what do you do? I've said it many times. Look, what did I say last time I was on this podcast? Number one, if you're not happy with the bullshit you're being fed, just don't buy tickets. Stop buying tickets. Stop watching this shit, right? If you're not happy with how these governing bodies are moving, don't watch those fights. Watch fights that are made where it's about person X versus person Y. Agree. Yeah, go, go. Stand behind the fighters and ignore the bells. But the problem is boxing discourse has become so binary now. It's become so partisan and so hostile that the belts and the rankings have become missiles you throw at the other side. So the Joshua Wilder debate isn't necessarily about who would win in the fight. It's about who should get what in the split, which is childish. <laughs> Let those two agree to fight. Whatever the money men want to do, let them do it. But we should be banging the drum and saying, we're not messing with this Joshua guy until he fights this Wilder guy. I think he is getting Joshua is getting that message, and I think he's finding it frustrating that um, the, of the the potential restrictions that we have already discussed on this pod in regards to the politics of it all. Um, not only that, but he's finding it frustrating that even though those restrictions, are, those political fr- uh, restrictions exist, that he's not getting. Um, a pass from the British public. They're just like, no, you've got to fight these people, otherwise you're not, you're not this all, all sort of conquering and, champion. And that what you're these people have be. now done is they've now frozen him out. Yeah. So, so Josh, there, there are two paths for Joshua. There's the big money, big endorsements, become a superstar guy. But the problem with that is 
is fire and brimstone. It's wilder-shaped fire, fury-shaped brimstone that he'd have to wade through. And it would probably take years of his life to do that. Then there's this other path, which is like a kind of like a happy path. And you fight these overhyped, blown up numpties, and you get to a support. Actually, I put Dylan in the fire and brimstone path as well. Just because. The thing is, all it takes. Oh. Sorry. I... No, so you've got. So Joshua wants to jump onto this path, but because these guys were like, listen, you had to make the turning a mile back. And yeah. Joshua's like, I'm not making that turning. So now Joshua's stuck on this path of Miller, Pulev, maybe even Usyk. And then, Why? then you've got to deal with Joyce. Joyce is coming up now. Yeah. So next 2020, Joyce is going to start making noise. All these other people we don't care about. And I like Joyce, but in terms of legacy and greatness for Joshua, we don't care about all of these other guys because these guys are here. But the problem is these guys are okay because on this side, they can fight Ortiz and they can fight Brazil and they can fight whoever like i mean you, you can even persuade dubois to come over to this side so you can actually have a split in the heavyweight division where joshua never gets a look in and will retire with question marks over his record which lennox lewis never had and people like to disrespect lennox eddie hearn tried to disrespect lennox but when lennox was undisputed well the undisputed is unified so he wasn't undisputed the only question mark he had was Bo, wasn't it but but that was even before they were like before they were at that level but when he retired it was like, well, Bo had three good years. Yeah, it was when Bo had the WBC belt and bin, like, literally binned it. He binned it, yeah. Lennox was like, I'll do it. So the que- that question mark shifts onto Bo. You, Lennox, you're like, oh, you fought Holyfield. Oh, you fought time. You fought names that are going to go into the Hall of Fame and you beat them. And if people say Bo, so I beat him in the Olympics anyway. So Le- Lennox has that, that CV that you can't question. Joshua has the option to do that, and all he'd have to do is go, whatever it costs, make the fight. But the fight would it happen. feels like a year ago, Joshua was in charge, mm. and he liked that he, whatever his team, liked the fact that they held all the cards, and they, you know, and then suddenly, when Fury and Wilder got announced, which no one saw coming, you know, within reason before it. That quickly. Yeah, exactly, because Fury's going to be mental to take on Wilder that quickly. Once that happened... Like you said, three months after that has happened, it's like, no, you had to take that turning back then. When you were in control, you thought that you held the cards indefinitely. And now suddenly you're in this position of, oh, shit territory. Um, Now now look how big Wilder is in Britain. Now look how much bigger Fury is in America, where they're saying, (laughs) you know those splits you were talking about a year ago? They don't qualify anymore. Because now when Joshua fights any one of us, we're adding this much revenue <clears throat> to the pot. For, forget the belts now. The belts are actually irrelevant. You talk to Fury. I don't think Fury cares about the belts anymore. What Fury wants to say is, there wasn't a man born of his mother that could beat me as a heavyweight. That's what he wants to say. I don't even think Fury's that bothered about the money. If you believe what he's come out with over the weekend, like you know that promise that he made before the fight, he was going to give his purse to Cherry. He said, I've done it. I haven't shouted about it because I don't want the headlines about it. But I've given my seven million pounds to a charity. Said I've just done it quietly. I haven't like fucking children need checked it. I've just <laughs> gone about my bu- my business. Yeah. Hope, Whether he has hope or he, he hasn't, paid his taxes first. Yeah. Whether he has or he hasn't, I'm not sure any of us can verify. But I said the money. I'm not even that convinced is that important to Fury. Yeah. So so, and I know I know the Twitterverse will will engage in this sort of discussion. So I will pose one question to the guys listening. 
why are we not pressing Joshua to make the fight at any cost? Forget the splits, right? I think just make the fights at 50-50. That should be the campaign now, 50-50. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the reason like, I don't engage in those conversations on Twitter because it's painful. Yeah. It, it really is painful. And I, I just don't... If someone was giving me 10% of what everyone's making, then I'll get involved in those conversations. Yeah. I'm not getting 10% <laughs> of them. Therefore, I'm not getting involved in those conversations. But when you have these I, discussions... I know you, and I guarantee, even if they were giving you 10%, the, the vitriol and the fucking pig-headedness of those people involved in those conversations would mean eventually you'd go fuck this every 10% back I'm yeah. not uh, no I would I would I wouldn't be able to deal with uh, yeah but all these in about all, 20 minutes all, all of these guys that tweet Hearn and all this sort of nonsense just ask really obvious questions like does Joshua value the money or his legacy more because remember when Hearn was like it's about legacy fights well I think that's changed because when he came out and he said I want to be a billionaire boxer I think at that time, he was taking for granted the fact that everyone loved him. Is you know, it was all going in one direction. Everyone was like, "Oh, brilliant! Josh was going to be the best thing in the world. He's going to be the biggest fire ever." And then, when it's all fucked up recently, and he's not necessarily in pole position in as much as where he can take things, suddenly <clears throat> that's when he's getting all upset at the white fight, white Chisora fight on the side of the ring going, well, yeah, but if I get, what well, you're not going to complain, are you? Wait a minute, I thought you was more interested in me and billionaire boxer. Wait, wait, what wait, difference wait. does it make what the fans think? But, 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 oh, they do, you do care. But that's such a microcosm of this whole disaster, right? Because he was there like, when I fight Dillian and April, don't be surprised. And then Dillian was like, that fight's dead. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant where these are, and he does it. Eddie's over his left shoulder. He's like, no, the Joshua fight's dead. We're moving on. And remember when we all first heard that, we're like, that guy's just said that on Sky. That's when you know Dillian's like, they need me more than I need them. I'm now just going to say what I want to say. Anyway, you lot are saying that this is fucked up and like Joshua's in a bad place. I'm not having it. Because, no, because he, he turned down $50 million because he wanted to fight at home for his people. He wanted to fight in London. <laughs> Remember, that was he, he didn't want to go to America because that's not right. He wanted, you know, it wasn't fair on the fans that couldn't necessarily afford to go to America. So they booked Wembley for April 13th. I've booked my hotel. I've booked my train. <laughs> I'll be at Wembley April 13th. To watch the biggest fight in boxing. Because I know that Joshua is a man of the people. Who doesn't, <laughs> he turned down $50 million to go and fight in America. So he's not going to go and do that, is he? Joshua Guevara. He's a man he's, of the people. He is so screwed. So now he's fighting in New York in the Barclays Centre. Oh, April 13th, he's fighting a Wembley, mate. I know because <laughs> I've got the poster on my phone. <laughs> I've got the poster on my phone. So, I've got it in my bedroom. Well, I'm wanking off under my Transformer duvet. <laughs> Fucking prick. Still waiting uh, for that interview, don't you? Yeah. AJ commits next two fights. Wembley Stadium, 27. <laughs> But 22nd September 13th April I'll be there well, so, here, so here's the issue and I want to touch on this we had Rob Tebbin on the show and he was talking about you know the travails of being a boxing journalist and I remember saying like all we need a journalist to do is ask real questions and so I'm disappointed and to be honest like I only listen to IFL I only really watch IFL now that's not disrespect to Rob it's just that once IFL set the agenda and they get the content out we don't get much variation on that. Hearn will literally say the same thing in the next thing. Literally yes. the same thing. Yes. And remember when I said the only, the only person, journalist, that caught Hearn out was wingy boxing. Of How's all... he getting on with the women, though? Uh... 
That's still brilliant. Uh, God bless Time Booth. But look, Wingy's the only one where he was like, well, Eddie, did you really offer Dillian four million? And Hearn's like, eh. Hearn was quite arrogant at first. Like, well, it's like, well, no, someone tweeted you saying you'd offer two million. You said double that. And I've never seen Hearn get to stammering and stuttering like that before. Until Dillian then stands next to him. Was that not the best five minutes of IFL? All six foot four, 18 and a half. Have you seen it, White? Dillian. White. Hello? Sorry, I'm have, engrossed have you, in something else. No, no, have you seen your cousin? <laughs> Dillian. <laughs> have you seen it? The Dillian White, Eddie Hearn, IFL in it? No. I'll send you a link to it at some Mate, point. It is, there's five minutes of it where... About two, 20 minutes in is all you need. There's an interview going on with... I think it's with Dillian, isn't it? It's or is it with Hearn? Dillian. No, it's... It's with it's Dillian and Hearn. No, no, but it's one of them. Then the other one joins. Hearn joins. Okay, so it's with Dillian and then Hearn comes in. Just randomly, like it was uh, random as you uh, yeah. wish to believe. But <laughs> um, face. so Hearn kind of tags into this interview. Oh, hi, Eddie. And then Coogan doesn't even really have to ask anything. They just start talking. Dillian and, goes rogue. And so Dillian's saying, like, look, these offers aren't what you're telling people they are, basically. Like, you might be telling me, or you might be telling people that it's four million or whatever, but then if I go and win this fight, what you're not telling people is that the rematch, I would have to give him the majority of the the split. What I'm asking for is a split. You're giving me a flat fee offer, but if I win, you're making me sign up to a rematch where I'm giving away the majority or I'm giving away half. Like, that's what you're not telling people. And so they start having this out in front of the camera. Well, remember his first thing was, I didn't like how you put my business out there on Twitter. <laughs> That's the first thing Dillian hits him with. And I'm like, wow. And then I'm like, I'm like, all of these monkeys running around with microphones and cameras and phones. And it took Dillian White to just say the most obvious shit ever. Like, why are you putting my business out in public? Mine, but you remember he said, but you're not putting Joshua's business out in public. We all know you're Joshua's man. And then Hearn's on the ropes from this point on. Like, yeah, yeah. What he said. Yes. Oh, and then and then Dillian's just like he starts just almost laughing at Hearn, saying, "I'm not going to accept your offer. What I'm going to do is be the WBO mandatory, and I might only get twenty percent, but I don't have to give you and Joshua a rematch." I don't. I can dictate the terms at that point. So, uh, so and, then, and then at that point, there was a really powerful question which comes out because someone in Team Dillian must have done the numbers and gone, "If you do it as a mandatory and it's a projected revenue they talk about, there's not much difference in what you'd be earning." And then you're like, "And if you back yourself to win, then you get all of this." Like, wow. So what? So based on what they've said there, what is the what? Uh, what is he g- trying to get him to sign up to? So I think the offer was, and this isn't verbatim, it isn't fact, but this is kind of what's been reported. Four no. million to White. And then if, maybe gone up to five, depends what you read. If he fights Joshua. To fight Joshua right. in April. This is what the offer was. Right. But he would only uh, get the 12 weeks notice, which is what they were working on. And then the rematch. But part of the acceptance of that four million would come with the stipulation that he had to take a rematch. If he won. If he wins. He would have to give the rematch. And the rematch, the terms of the rematch weren't particularly favourable. Favourable towards Dillian. They were probably more favourable towards Joshua. <laughs> what? Which is what White was saying. Like, I don't have to do that when I can go down the WBO route 
as the mandatory, you get 20%, but yeah. there's no rematch involved or in Or go the, the WBC route. But the Why? problem that he's got is that he needs Hearn for both. Not for Bruce. Yeah, he signed to the PBC. You get the WBC shot. Yeah, he could just go to the PBC. And that would probably be easier for him because there are more credible names there. But Hearn also needs White, right? For Her, Hearn needs, Hearn needs white. white more than yeah. White needs Hearn, you'd suspect. Yeah. If Dillian leaves Matchroom slash Sky, Sky have this massive existential crisis where they go, okay, we've got Joshua, but the next biggest pay-per-view stars following that are guys like Eubank Jr., Dillian White. We don't have control of those guys. So we don't have control of the market. Add in Fury as well. Maybe even Billy Joe if he gets himself back together. And, you know, I don't know what Warrington will do. Maybe Warrington as well. These are all fighters Matchroom don't control. So all of a sudden, the pay-per-view market turns away from Sky. So they need Dillian. That's why Dillian's now being more vocal and demanding. And don't ignore what Dillian's doing behind the scenes as well, where he's signing up all the big men. Yeah. Watching porn again. No, I'm just finding you the link for uh, <laughs> no. this interview. So, so he essentially, he's signed up. He's signing up a load of big men. Two men going at it. Knowing that, at some point, I mean, heavyweights sell. And if you've got the best heavyweights and you've got them under management, then Hearn has to come to you at some point. Dillian's playing this so smart right now. Dillian has some very good advisors as well. Yeah. Which so. is nice that he's not just, I mean, not that you'd ever know if it was the other way, but he's not just taking these fights because well that's my only option you know like you say his his advisors are saying to him don't do it which is brilliant because it also exposes because if if he knows what what it's worth it must it therefore makes you think what is he giving other fighters if you want fighters that are less worth absolutely and at least white's willing to talk about it here's the strange thing based on that offer dillian would have made more money fighting chisora than fighting Joshua. That's the scary part of this whole thing. Yeah. You know, so it's... And then you look at Hearn and you go, but... So what is your role in all of this? You can't just say you're the promoter that puts on the fight. Because if you're the promoter that puts on the fight, and you say, well, (laughs) the fighters own the purse strings, what you're effectively saying now is that's not true. Joshua owns the purse strings. So then I'm asking, okay... Who's putting the money up for this event? Agree, because in essence, these conversations should be between the managers of the fighters. <clears throat> Dillian is his own manager. AJ is his own manager. Those two should be having these conversations. Hearn should just be told when the fight is made and then arrange the logistics and put the fight on and promote the fight. So, yeah, there is a, a strange um, setup. But So you wonder, is Hearn speaking for Joshua... Is Hearn speaking for Matchroom? Is Hearn speaking for Sky? And I think the answer... Or for AJ Boxing. And the answer is that lies with whoever's putting the money up for the fight. Because remember, like, you're having having to pony up tens of millions in, as Hearn, I say, in escrow. Western Union. Yeah, nice nice move. Whereas, what's Matchroom Boxing? 100 million pound business, maybe, in terms of just revenue? So that's a lot of their cash flow tied up. So there are people involved that we probably don't even know are involved. And it's like, what's happening at that level? Um, Martin, you have to go soon. Yeah, I ain't got that long. Do we have time to talk about CBD oil? I just wanted to touch on it because UCAD put out their guidance today about CBD oil. If you don't want to read it, fine. But the gist of it is, um, long and short of it is, 
they're not saying don't take CBD oil. So CBD oil, I'm not an expert on these things, but is essentially the drug of marijuana without the THC element of the plant. I think it's supposed to be the um, the the medicinal side of the plant without the without drug. the yeah the you know the stereotypical getting high element. Yeah, so I think that's that's my understanding. There's no THC element out of the plant. It's just the other parts. Um, and so you kind of come out and said, look, it's not against, like, is it VADA they use? Um, it's not against their rules, so therefore it's no, not it's against... WADA. Okay, WADA. So therefore it's not against our rules to take CBD oil. So by all means, go ahead and take it. But it does sit under the strict liability of the athlete rule. And there's no promise that CBD oil, when it's created, can't be cross-contaminated by marijuana. And so it may well be that it's too, you know, that THC element that's extracted when it's in the processing plant or factory, to avoid the word plant because that'd be confusing, um, <laughs> when it's in the processing factory, could get cross-contaminated with batches that do have the element of THC within it. But n- not only that, we still don't know if it metabolizes the same way. So you might get the same metabolized. Because remember, what a drug test does is it either detects the thing in you or detects the end products of it, so like the metabolites, the waste products. So you might have the same waste products, which might trigger a test. So, yeah, you kept the same. Basically, look, you can take this, and as far as we're concerned, CBD oil in itself is not going to help you, or it's not going to make you have adverse findings in a piss test. But it might, and to that end it's strict liability on the user and you they were saying that we don't know and we don't think there are any third party testing units so you can't go and hire somebody so you get that you know you get your cbd oil through the post you get 40 bottles of it if you're taking supplements you might send two of those supplements off to a third party and say can you test that make sure it's all okay comes back yes you can take it they were saying for cbd oil there isn't that third party that can test this um so you're very much like it's your it's up to you if you want to do it do it but there's a risk involved um well i just found it really interesting because the boxing social podcast the other day had charlie edwards on it um well title holder who was on there talking about how he takes like three drops per day of this cbd oil was taking it before he was fighting for his world title and the the benefits that he gets of it he said you know basically like I used to overthink everything. I used to be quite paranoid. I started taking this and it's affected my mindset and I'm able to concentrate on the important things more. But just this UCAD stuff. And like Anthony Fowler sells it, doesn't he, essentially? He's- he made me want to buy some. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, that video was so cool. Like, I just love that video. I used to punch people when they're on their knees. <laughs> That's the idea. Now I'm proper scene. chilled, man. <laughs> um... So yeah, I just found it really interesting. The UCAD essentially aren't saying, yes, it's safe. They're saying, you can have a go at it, but if you get adverse findings from a drugs test, don't go crying about it. Um, Useful. <laughs> well, what else can they say, really? If if the risk is that it's in a processing factory and it gets cross-contaminated, but we've got no way of testing that third party, how can they give the thumbs up to take it? Yeah, I mean, and yet risk. you've got professional athletes there, boxers, getting sponsored by these companies and saying, yes, we take a, a reasonable quantity of it. Yeah. It I just seems the, a bit mad. The risk is like, uh, don't worry. <laughs> I'll just say I've been doing CBD oil. 
<laughs> you know, and then they go, oh, well, I don't know, because I've just only been doing two drops of oil every day. So that they, they, they would never... That sounded like, so camp. <laughs> which, which one? Which part? All every day. Because uh, it's fabulous, because he takes CBD oil. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, um, so we'll see where it ends up. But, you know, in in the next five years, if someone gets done for taking CBD oil, I don't want to see the outrage of people like, oh, it's only CBD oil, because you can have come out and said, take this at your own risk. Yeah. Um. Oh, but... Right, so it would only come through contamination, though, just to quant- just to. We don't know. That. Well, if Charlie Edwards says he's been taking it, presumably he's been testing that period. Well, is no, that- that's a big assumption. He's fought for a world title in that period, so you would hope he has. Um, but I don't know if he signed up to oh. the clean boxing program. He's that's WBC another thing champion. Dillian said. Do you remember he said that? Mm. Where he said, look, yeah, you're trying to force me to taking this fight at short notice. I want Josh to do this six months of VADA as part of the clean boxing program. That's one of his conditions for the fight to happen. And he's just like, no, I mean, uh, I'm not answering that question. Okay, no, no. So, so, so what we know from that is the fight can't happen at least until August now, right? So every month they don't agree a fight. There's a six-month window where Dillian won't compromise on that. So that means I have to accept it won't be Dillian White on April 23rd at Wembley. I'm sorry, April 13th. They might be able to squeeze in six months between now and April the 13th. I'm just wondering who else I'm going to see at Wembley that day. Anastasia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out of love. What a random (laughs) selection. (laughs) What a random reference. I mean, I think she'll probably go a couple of rounds, but (laughs) I don't fancy her chances. She Um, used to be all right back in the day. I used to fancy her. Anastasia Peak, Shania Twain Peak. Shania Twain. Shania Twain. I've probably not won out to Shania All Twain in my day. Long. I don't think I've done it to Anastasia. No, Shania no, I'm an Anastasia. Who's, who's the weirdest musician you've not won out to? Uh, Phil Collins. Please say Kravitz. Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he didn't know. No, I said I weird. I wanna fly away. <laughs> Shania Twain was hot. Yeah, she not Twain. Wasn't there some that weird don't thing where? That me much. Nah, nah, some chicks, man. She not Twain's chicks, husband like... ran off of her best friend, so she married her best friend's ex-husband. Did she marry what? Just sort of, Lance Armstrong? Just sort of swapped. swapped. Yeah. Well, no, did she marry Lance Armstrong? Did she? Who? She Twain. Who did Lance Armstrong marry? Lenny Kravitz. Anastasia. She <laughs> <laughs> Twain's brother. Lenny Kravitz. I'm I sure no Lance idea. Armstrong was boning someone like that. What? The first man on the moon? <laughs> sake. He could have cycled there. <laughs> and back. Um, that's it, really. No. I think we should... No. Or you better tie your any other business section in soon because Martin's got to go and pick up his child. You might have to drive me to the station. I can't drive. Stop lying. Too high on Too much CBD oil, my friend. No, um... I'm trying to think where we are, man. It's been it's been absolutely fucking ages, haven't we? Number one, Mike Tyson on the Rogan podcast. I didn't find it that good. You um, you enjoyed it a lot more than I did. Well, I, I'm just a, I, I love Mike. Like I, I think his his reinvention, like his ability to like who it, think about when you were young and you're watching Mike Tyson. Do you ever think he'd be like this engaging in old age? You imagine he'd yeah. have been somewhere in jail. <clears throat> I did like the story about his car. 
And uh, when his ex-wife oh, yeah, smashed it outside the uh, takeaway shop. Cub. <laughs> that's quite amusing. No, but there's another story that's told by a guy called Ed Lover. And he goes, I was in the club with Mike Tyson. And Mike gives me this Bentley. And so Ed Lover basically drives this Bentley to his mum's house, leaves it, goes, shit, I can't even drive this. So I get stopped by the police. And so this guy comes up to Ed Lover's mother's house. Don't know how, because mate, it's Mike Tyson's car. We've come to get it. So don't, no one knows who this guy is. He gets the car, drives off. Ed Lover sees Mike Tyson. Michael's like, mate, I wanted you to have that car. Why didn't you just keep it? And he was just like, I could have kept it $300,000. like a Bentley Azure convertible. And he just gave it to Ed Lover. <laughs> like, like just some of those Mike Tyson stories, even the tiger shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? When he was in jail and then his mate's like... Yeah, yeah he's scared tiger. Yeah, yeah, Tiger. Yeah, yeah, I had him from Curbs. It was all good. <clears throat> but now, just a few quick shout outs. And I'll fly, and then, then we can escape. One, strangely busy week in terms of like the guys that listen to this. So, bump into Dan Frost randomly by Barbican Station. I think he was coming up from the match and press conference, and I was walking back down from having lunch with Brooke. Now, shout out to Brooke's, you know, freakish knowledge. Like, Brooke and I have lunch, right? And we're going through years and reading off who won the ABAs in what year. Like, that's super boxing geekery, but nothing better than having a double cheeseburger and just reading off who who won the ABAs. Shout out to Brooke. Hope you're Yeah, no, no. She's, I mean, she's, she's doing her thing. And people need to really respect the knowledge she brings to the sport. Like, roots are deep in it. Now, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of new jacks show up and they think, oh, who is she? Who does she think she is? Man, you've got to respect that knowledge. So, no, no, got a lot of time for her. Shout out to her. She's been having a rough time and she's, yeah. you know, just look through some of the stuff she puts up. She is evidence that there are massive dickheads out in the world. I don't mean Brooke. I mean people that are dickheads to, to Brooke. Needlessly For very, so. very, very little to no purpose. Yeah. And none of them want to show their faces. That's the thing that's disappointing. You know, show your face, be known, and then let's see if you're that brave. Um, you want to shout out Ian Wellman as well. People don't know who Ian is. He listens, but... He's virtually at every show, big lump of a man, but he's at every show. And then, you know what I mean? Stay in contact with him. He's a really good guy. Uh, was with Riku on Friday. Uh, he was in, in good form as well. Shout out Riku. Yeah. Got a lot. He, that dedicated. I think between him and Winnie, I don't know who has a more detailed memory of stuff we say on here. Winnie, like, without a doubt, because Winnie will just every now and then tweet something like, oh, what about this episode back in yeah. like May 2015? Minutes and seconds. And I'm like, I, I genuinely don't remember what we've spoken about this week. Yeah. Yeah. She does. And she'll pull me up She's stuff. exceptional. Yeah. So, no, no. and then to everyone else that listens and interacts, like, I know I'm not on Twitter, so I'm not as visible as I used to be. Even guys like Danny Watley, hand on heart, like, I do this. And then when people listen and give me feedback or ask me questions, I'm still genuinely humbled because I'm like fucking I just talk about boxing second thing agree can I just quickly sorry I don't want to hijack your point but just curtail on the end of it Tris Dixon put something out the other day and he's doing his life stories podcast some brilliant brilliant episodes of it brilliant but he put something the other day about the number of podcasts that are out and um, quantity over quality and but I think basically he was angling at he wants to try and make money out of it but there doesn't seem to be the money in it because there are so many out there and I just it made me think like look this 
this costs us money to do it. It costs Terry money to get the train up every week. You know, it costs Andy money for the equipment and for the SoundCloud hosting. It doesn't actually really cost me any money. I said all that, but I give up the time on a Sunday it, with my family. It's time and and, and um, like all these quote, things. Unquote, like, hassle, isn't it? Yeah, Sunday's family time. I give that up to come and be here. Like. We all do it just because we're passionate about it. We've yeah. never made a penny out of it. Like the live shows we've done have cost us money. Like if you don't have both a... sold out for the record. <laughs> That's true. Um, Standing room only at the last one. People were just texting me, so they just walk in. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> listen, we've had the interval. Just walk in, okay? Don't worry about anything else. Just walk in. Yeah, but like if you don't have a passion for doing this then yeah. you're never going to be able to do it. So shout out to all those people that do it just purely for the love and not trying to make but, a penny out of it. But for, for my tip for Tris is, do you think what you do is that much better than what we do that you can charge a premium? If so, show me and I will pay that premium. But the truth is, you're talking boxing, right? But once you start to make money from it, and I think I said this when Rob was here, once you start using this as your business model, you can't give the listeners what they want. We can say what we want, you know, as long as it's not anti Goodwin, we can say what we want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, he's got to have his one shot per episode, isn't he? I didn't realize I hadn't come off yet. <laughs> no, no, well, we can say what we want because no one's putting money in our pockets. Yeah. We, we do this for you guys, and we uh, go, what is it you guys would want to hear? Obviously, subject to the fact that we have to be accountable for what we say but we can take more risks. Remember, we talked about Steve Bunce and I said, Steve Bunce has far more insider knowledge than we do. Yeah. But he couldn't <clears throat> use any of it because the minute he does, he loses that kind of insider advantage. But I, I hope Tris finds a sponsor. I hope Tris makes money out of it. I hope he keeps providing that content because I really like the content. So, but on the other hand, like, don't complain that what you're doing isn't making money because there are loads of people out there doing it and the thing about quantity over quality, yeah, it's correct. There's loads yeah. of stuff out there. But if people choose to do it, cool. If you flood the market with it, let the market just, decide. The market can will just, decide whether it's good enough. Can I just say as well, like, it's not through, it's not through inability that we're not sponsored. Like, people have offered. That's partly. It's a choice. <laughs> no, no, what no, I mean is, people no, have no, offered to sponsor no, us. So we, um, not necessarily through us looking... Well, we haven't looked for it because we don't need to, but... I am confident right. we could go to Lad Bible and get sponsored and get hosted by Lad Bible. <laughs> what I'm trying to say to people is, like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this sound anything other than just just a little, like, peek behind the curtain. Like, there, there at least I know one... Well, I got asked by a friend to go and speak to, who had a connection to a business, blah, blah, blah. And the guy said, look, if I sponsor your podcast, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, because as soon as you sponsor us and we start cutting off somebody, which we do every single podcast, and then at one point, if you say to us anything other than... Well, basically, they have. Uh, we never ever want to surrender any sort uh, of. Creative. I had interest from a mate um, involved in boxing. I won't say anymore. Who also had offered to like have a conversation yeah. about sponsoring us, um, and I said to him, "No, for his benefit." Like I could have been selfish and gone, "Yeah, all right, let's talk about this." But I said, "For your benefit," because I don't think he actually listens to us that often, but he knows that we get a decent listenership. Yeah. I said, mate, like the, some of the stuff that we come out with wouldn't be beneficial to what you're doing in the sport. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. it's not in your benefit to actually do this. It might get your name out, 
but being associated to it. I'm not saying we're the most controversial podcast. We're not. I realise that. No. But also, we don't filter things because we don't have to. Yeah. And that's why we have the audience we do. And that's why people are happy to come out and see us live because they go, well, we know what we get on the podcast. We know we can get that little bit extra live because it's not permanent. I'm you starting see, to think what sort of sponsor would ever be useful. But but to but, but listen, anyone that wants to tweet legal one, in, firelight, legal one, <laughs> be quite handy today. <laughs> Honestly, look, anyone that wants to get hold of Tris Dixon, if we do another live show, Tris can come out, he can have a look, and then he can go right. Let me see if what I do really is premium product. What he does is different to us, and that's yeah. cool. And I really like what he does, but. I do find it slightly disappointing that his only reason for doing it is to try and make money. Make money, like go back to the boxing news or r- run your CrossFit gym. What's happened to your CrossFit gym? I'm not having a go at Tris at all no, because. But it, what, what, I guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect that sanctity that says there's a band of brothers that do this for the passion. Yeah, there's and a. We, br- we like to feel it's feel a good that. product. There's a Beyond the Ropes guys. There's a Fight Talk guys. There's yeah. a British and boxing blog that, guys. What? There's people at the Boxing Asylum. There's people that do all these things for their own time and their own benefit. Nobody's yeah. making a penny and out of it. When we get it. together at boxing events, you know, when we went we to have see a cracking time. Groves, it was brilliant because it yeah. that was that left. was the payback for me. Was like all those hours and whatever. I don't feel like I need a payback, but having that community of people yeah. that you can meet up with and enjoy time is, with, and you all go together. Lovely, yeah, yeah. Not and to sound too people, sickly about even, it. Even people that just interact with us on Twitter, it's nice to meet those people and have a conversation. It's great fun. Anyway, yeah, no, sorry, yeah. Second oh, thing, sorry, Terry, because that was a really oh, long yeah. tag. The on. thing I need to touch on Thursday night, um, I was at a thing called the Crux Boxing Ball. So, Crux are an asset management oh, firm, this, and yeah. they sponsor a charity called Walking with the Wounded. So, Walking with the Wounded helps guys who come out of the military, and it helps stabilize them in life. And sometimes it helps catch the ones that might slip through the net. So one of the touching aspects of it was they showed a, a video, it was about a four minute video, and they had some case studies. And what really hurt me was the number of times the word suicide was mentioned. And so I think this charity's aim is to kind of try to reduce that and try and get people reintegrated back into society, get them jobs, education, qualifications, whatever it is that's needed. So it's absolutely fascinating cause, you know, really well run event. It showed that amateur boxing is in the is in the dark ages compared to what happens when these guys, you know, I mean, get their their act together. So brilliant event, brilliant night. It was military versus civilians, four fights on the night. Adam Smith doing the commentary, which which is what's made me a fan of Adam Smith now. So basically, if you look at Adam Smith, right, we all sit there, guys, the Sky Company man. This guy shows up, right. And he made everyone feel like it was like a pay-per-view night. So he's, I'm in the corner. He's next to me doing the commentary. And I, I, all my fighters lost, which is a shocker. I've never had that happen before. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, mate, did you bring your judges with you? <laughs> How the hell am I losing everything? But really good guy. And so him and I had, had about a four-minute chat afterwards, you know, trying to, trying to push some of my guys into, into Sky's radar. I heard through someone that he's a lot more influential around what goes on at Sky and Matchroom than yep. what we perhaps have ever realised. No, no. So, so obviously, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll speak later. We'll speak in the car on the way back. And- yeah, but essentially, Adam Smith's a really, really, really good guy. And I, I feel he gets a bad press because he took a bunch of people who just 
city workers essentially made them feel like pay-per-view stars he, he and he's not doing this off notes he's clearly done his research before and he's reading off these random facts about people i didn't even know and i've helped train some of these guys i'm like he's good number two the event's brilliant like the food was incredible and the ladies that were there jesus <laughs> christ <laughs> So no, no, here's the thing that really fucks me off, right? I get to the gym and Mark Rygate, who runs Fitzroy Lodge, is like, Terry, what are you doing tonight? I was like, man, I'm going to go to Iceland. I'm going to get my, my crab linguine, you know? I'm going to have some food. I'm going to go to bed. He's like, do you want to come to the Sheraton Park Lane? There's a charity thing. And I'm like, do you need me? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Get this, this black tie event. And it's some of the women that I've helped train and some of the guys I've helped train. And I'm just like, I really needed to dress up for this because I'm just there in my tracksuit and shit. I mean, just walking around, just horn dogging. I shouldn't really say that on this podcast. But people like, know you well enough by now, Terry. They could have assumed. <laughs> Fuck me. Like, is that what you were saying? Well, <laughs> is that what you were walking around? No, so. I might be, I reckon I know the secret to why no, you're not getting. So, 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 strange moment. Honestly, like, afterwards, we're going back to just have a debrief with the guys and thank them and congratulations. Walk past this lady, grabs my hand. She's like, I'm so shaggy right now. It's like, meet me outside at midnight. So I go there and I'd completely forgotten that I said this because I obviously said it in the moment. And one of the guys I was training comes in at 11.59. It's like, Terry, you best run outside and hope she's there. <laughs> but I was like, listen, she'll be in on Monday, whatever. But Noble Charity raised, <laughs> raised 60 grand on the night. Um, humbled. Like, I sent you the picture of the guy. Like, I didn't realise that guy didn't have any legs. I didn't either. I did. uh, yeah. and, and, until he said, um, I don't well, need any shoes. I was like, oh, shit. And then I realised he had no legs. But he's, that's a testament to, I guess, the great work they're doing. Because whether you think the war was right or wrong is actually irrelevant. The fact is, these are our citizens, our brothers and sisters who are putting their lives on the line. And they, we need them to come back and we need them to be part of us again because it's important and they are us i don't give a fuck what race you i don't care what your background is man we're all british in this together and that's what i care about bring these guys back they've been through a lot and let them have a good life now they've well said time. uh can we bring this episode of knowledge boxing to uh, you should end? do it andy like Right, technical fault means that we've just come back on the air. Oh, well, uh, just as Andy, uh, Terry had suggested that you go and do some boxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, technical fault. Yes, yeah, it's, it's bizarre that one. Um, um, anyway, all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening. Thank you. We will it. see you next week, possibly, probably. I think I've got something on next week. I think I am but, as well. But I'm, I don't know what. If, if it isn't next week, it'll be the week after. Thank you uh, very much. I think much. my wife's doing some, she's got dance events. I don't think I'll be here. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Cheers.